Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, he doesn't cover specifically the Oklahoma City Thunder anymore, but it wouldn't be the dunked on previews if we weren't starting with the man himself, Fred Katz. And I, we're hoping that you still have enough latent Thunder knowledge to fake your way through this, Katz. Look, I'm I'm just here because I want to show my hearty, hearty support for you doing live reads about underwear. <laughs> that's, that's all I want. That's all I want out of this. And I just want to make sure that can continue for as long as possible. So, so as long as I can contribute to the success of this podcast, it, it makes me happy because I know that I'm going to hear you say the word me undies and I'll be really happy about it. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, are you just jealous that you don't have an underwear sponsor yet for, for your show? I, I need underwear, <laughs> let alone underwear sponsor. <laughs> I'm starting at a really bad spot. Well, uh, I mean, I'm just re- really glad that the copy doesn't require me to discuss anything about, like, packaging or, you know, I mean, there's some other underwear companies that, like, <laughs> actually you have to, like, get into that, you know, as the, the podcasters struggle for euphemism. Because uh, this isn't one of those comedy podcasts. Uh, much much as it... Uh, it's not. <laughs> it does it does purport to be one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. We, we really, I mean, just no substance at all. Just bullshitting about, you know, stuff that's not even halfway related to the nba is basically what we do but it, having fred on does uh up the comedy quotient does up the uh the new york jew quotient which i'm allowed to actually i'm allowed to actually make that joke because i'm half jewish uh i, I feel 50 yeah, percent of you I, yeah because i mean with the last name like duncan people might just think i was being anti-semitic if i make like uh, jewish jokes when in reality like no i've got that teflon uh in in reality you're just being self-loathing yeah yeah and, and there's it's, there's a very important and, no, and like my mom actually is jewish i didn't like just convert to judaism for the jokes or anything like that so <laughs> Good solid sidebelt. <laughs> so we are going to talk some thunder here, and then also Fred is maybe the greatest aficionado of summer league of anyone that I know, and I wanted to discuss with him our all-time uh, summer league all stars, which will actually be—it's not going to be the best players in summer league, but it's just going to be the people who most typify the summer league experience, who uh, you know may have had little to no NBA future or impact whatsoever outside of the summer league. But let's talk about the thunder I and mean, you were there last year like the biggest thing to discuss obviously carmelo anthony is no longer on this team they got dennis schroeder instead but just in general i mean certainly during the playoffs we were very critical of anthony do you feel that this is just even if they didn't replace him with anybody that it would be a case of addition by subtraction or did he actually contribute more than people realized last year i kind of lean more towards the former um mostly just because this team is really going to be graded i i think there are there are times where he can still win 
win you regular season games when things are going right. He had games last year when he hit seven threes. And when he does that, he's a net positive. He's not necessarily a net positive across across the board, across the regular season, but season. But if he's if he's willing to accept a role that's proper for him, even if he's willing to do that, I just don't think that he moves the bar at all in the postseason. Actually, I take it back. He moves the bar in the postseason, just not in the way that I think the Thunder would have wanted. The Jazz targeted him like crazy in pick and rolls. I forget what the number was, and I forget where I read it. It was either Zach Lowe article or Chris Herring or something like that, where on plays that finished with a Jazz guard or wing going against Carmelo Anthony in one-on-one situations after switches, Utah averaged like more than 1.2 points per possession, which is like ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's better than the best offense in NBA history. I mean, that is an absolutely absurd number, especially for a half-court offense. I mean, that is absolutely crazy. Um, and and that just happens. That's just going to happen in series. And and some of that, I mean, that wasn't scheming. The Thunder switched a lot in that series, but they weren't trying to switch. Uh, you know, you talk to people behind the scenes there, and they, they, they didn't want to switch on a lot of those times. And it was just kind of mellow breaking coverage at times because of that. Uh, so I, I think from a communication standpoint, from an ability standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint, and all of those, especially defensively, from a fit standpoint, I think you're going to get some kind of upgrade because at least you're going to have a guy who's going to know his role, acknowledge his role, and and compete in that sense. And I do think Jeremy Grant showed really nice improvement throughout the course of last year, and he's still young. And I, I think he will probably be about the same player that he was in the second half of last year. But even if he has a little bit of an uptick for whatever reason, got to the free throw line a lot last year that's nice you know I, I think he's a better player than Melo. yeah and i think especially in the playoffs Melo just took so much off the table and you, you mentioned that they weren't trying to switch they kind of had to do that at the end but even when they were switching he like couldn't even execute that you know they they were miscommunicating a, a ton he was really getting beaten pretty badly and and my hope at the start of last year and this is more the team they're going to have this year was the team that they're going to have before they traded for Melo was that this could be you know one of the absolute best defensive teams in the nba um yeah look nate yeah. it was i mean even with mellow there i mean pre pre-andre robertson injury i forget exactly where they were when robertson got hurt but they were top five they might have been top yeah. three uh in defensive efficiency i mean it, they let they still finished the year leading the league in takeaways yeah. they finished the year leading the league in deflections i mean they were they were still they finished 10th in defensive efficiency because when robertson got hurt they just fell off to a bottom half of the league in defense because you just can't make up for that with the other defenders they had and how good robertson is but even with mellow there they were one of probably the five or six best defensive teams in the league yeah what's the latest on uh, robertson's return right now i saw that you got cleared to run on a treadmill just recently which is that's eight months after the injury uh it seems like he oh because he had that second surgery that's right that's what it was so i mean I, i'm a little concerned about him coming back and being the same guy i think that's reasonable i think that's right i know every single year when i do this podcast with you you ask me which guy is uh am i allowed to skip ahead uh I, I might yeah, skip because ahead. because you and I always just so rigidly stick to structure <laughs> on these shows. Yeah, this is this is not a situation of uh, rigid structuring like you and all you can eat buffet. <laughs> this is this is a free flowing yeah, conversation. The, and, uh, and that comment yeah, I mean, about Ro- the, the all you can eat buffet in and of itself is an indication that there is no structure here. Yeah. <laughs> 
(laughs) I think Robertson is is the guy who is most likely to to be worse this year. Uh, He was he was so good defending the perimeter last year. And in my opinion, at the time he was getting hurt, he was the best perimeter defender in the league at the time playing basketball when he got hurt at the end of January against Detroit. He was so important for that defense, and they fell off totally without him. I wonder – it's a really serious injury. I mean people talk about it when you tear your Achilles, but when you when you rupture your patellar tendon, that is I, I think you can make an back. argument that that is more difficult than an ACL. I mean your patellar tendon, you can't bend your knee without your patellar tendon. Like that is the attachment point between your thigh and your lower leg. And, you know, I mean it's really just to not be able to even move your leg. You know, at least the ACL, it's like there's not stability but you can kind of just you know after you have the surgery you're bending it right away and you basically after you tear your patellar tendon and i've been lucky enough to tear both my patellar tendon and acl at the same time uh but i i think it's really you know years later i probably have more issues i think from the patellar tendon than i do from uh the acl yeah and somehow because you're a freak you and andre robertson are probably the same size but but robertson is i don't know like it's it's really tough he he has been very hopeful he'll be back for the start of the regular season he has been very hopeful about that i think the thunder have too they've been hopeful is the wrong word optimistic is really the better word like they think it's very realistic that he's back for the start of the regular season and and maybe he will be but uh the question really with him because he is he's not just purely an athlete i mean he's a he's a very smart defender he he really watches a lot of film he really studies opposing guys tendencies and takes a lot of pride in how good he is on that side of the floor but a lot of what he is is just that he's quick and that he you know, is is quick to the ball and quick to beating people to spots. And it's part of what makes him such a good defender. And if he comes back and if he's 90% as quick as he was and is still pretty quick, is he quick enough to be that good? Like, and if he's not that good, then how good is he as an overall player? If he's not an absolute top of the line uh, defensive player, you know, guarding ones and twos and threes and sometimes fours. So that's a, that's a real question. And it's something that like, I don't know. I, I don't really know the answer. I don't think it's something we can have any idea of until we just see it happen and we we see how he is well and re- recall too he's having i know you do but uh, listeners may not that uh, in late may he had another surgery on that knee because he was experiencing swelling and they felt like they had more in there that they needed to clean up so i think the other thing in addition to is he going to be the same guy is you know what's his availability going to be during this season probably going to have to you know not play back to backs for a while uh, you know just get a lot of maintenance not play as many minutes uh, although you know he's never been a really high minute guy i mean uh, last year averaged he was like the high yeah, 20s yeah I think. so uh so those are all concerns and then i mean you get back to obviously his offensive limitations i mean this isn't the type of injury where he's been able to just hang out and shoot the whole time and he was last year he was eight out of 36 uh from three he was taking less than one a game so he really even abandoned any pretense that he was taking them any any longer uh 22 percent, and then yeah. the free throw line 32 percent. and with this team now gonna be limited in their depth on the wing with anthony gone uh that becomes an issue too that teams could just foul to get him out of the game because i mean he like that's basically worked right like pretty much every time that they did that billy donovan had to take him out right Uh, that's what i recall at least yeah i mean it worked really well in the houston playoff series in 2017 and i think it worked really well beyond just the x's nose of fouling him and you know billy donovan left him in then and uh and he said he said he left him in because he wanted to show confidence in him and i think that's a great sentiment but i always wonder when coaches leave somebody in and coaches do this all the time and then they justify it later publicly 
by saying publicly, well, I wanted to show confidence in him. Doesn't that eliminate the confidence? Like, shouldn't you be saying in order to build confidence that you left it in because you believe in him, not because you wanted to build the confidence? Because <laughs> if I'm a player, I'm like, you're just trying to build the confidence. You don't actually yeah. believe in me. You're just playing I, mind games. And then you just told everyone that it was I, yeah, only a right. mind game. I, I didn't, Coaches do I didn't it all the time. I didn't actually have confidence. I just wanted him to right. think that I, I had to confidence. Show it. <laughs> exactly. And I'm telling you guys, because I know Andre Robertson's never going to read the Norman transcript. I always want every coach does that. I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? In why are you fairness, this? you should not be telling fairness, me this. I think they actually mean that. I, I they try are trying to convey that they had confidence. But in 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 the case of Andre Robertson shooting free throws, I'm not so sure that's what Billy Donovan meant. I think he meant he was trying to show confidence, but it didn't it didn't work. I mean, I think it hurt Andre psychologically, and not well, so just at it, the you end. You think it's better that it's better to just take the guy out preemptively? I mean, because you're basically, I mean, if you take the guy out preemptively, I mean, that's even worse, right? You're not even giving him a, a chance to prove it. at least maybe there's some chance he could get into a rhythm if you leave him in. Yeah, I think, I think, honestly, I think it depends on the player and the situation. Like if you've, if, if you've, if you're going up against a team that has, and you know, if the Thunder are going up against a team that has a great single creator who Robertson has to guard. If you're going up against Milwaukee and Giannis is, you know, Robertson's doing a really good job on him or something like that and they start fouling and paul george for whatever reason isn't available then like you might have to leave andre in and just deal with it because you need his defense he's he's that important i think in other situations you might be able to deal i think 2017 they foul and i think part of the reason billy donovan left him in then and he pulled him it wasn't only because he realized that it didn't work out well in 2017 i think it's also because well you got paul george like paul george is a really good i don't think he's as good as dre on the wing defending but he's a really, really good perimeter defender and obviously a much better overall player. And you can stick Paul George on somebody if you're really in need of, of – now Robertson's more than just a one-on-one -on -one guy defensively. But you can stick Paul George on somebody. It makes that decision easier. All right. So we got to do a quick read here. But we'll be back to discuss Andre Robertson for another 40 minutes uh, right after this. <laughs> So a lot of teams save money in the free agent market this summer. And if you too would like to save money, you can start by paying less interest on your credit card balances. I know when I was graduating from college, just starting off, I, I was studying for the LSAT. I didn't have any income. And I actually racked up a little bit of a credit card balance. It took me a while to pay off once I started working. So I wish that I could have used Lightstream. I could have saved it a lot of money back then with a credit card consolidation loan. From them, you can save hundreds to thousands of dollars and lower your interest rate their credit card consolidations start from just 5.89 percent apr with auto pay that is uh, much less than the average credit card interest rate of over 18 percent apr and you can get your funds as soon as the day that you apply lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees so say goodbye to high interest credit card rates this summer and start saving with lightstream and my listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time on the program. That's lightstream, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash capspace. Make sure you use that slash cat space URL to let them know that you came from us. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. Okay, so let's talk about the new additions. Now, I think the biggest one is Dennis Schroeder. Liam pulled this stat, one that I'm sure you're well familiar with also. OKC's offensive rating last season with Paul George on the floor and no Russell Westbrook. This is a 1,000 
was in possession so not you know an insignificant amount of time here that's you know about 10 games worth uh was 98.2 this is per cleaning the glass so that is basically worst in the league type of levels why did they struggle so much without westbrook in the game even so last year i mean they still end with paul george on the floor and then you know do we think that dennis schroeder their big addition in the offseason can help that you know the Paul George lineups with the bench were just like baffling. Like it, it, it wasn't like there was one point in the year where it just kind of all plummeted and it ruined the season long numbers. They were horrible. Just the Paul George standalone with the bench lineups, they were horrible all year. I thought Key and Ray Felton never developed a yeah, good chemistry. But, and by contrast, uh, the unit without any of the so called big three on it was actually was good. Yeah, yeah, it was good. They they defended pretty well. Uh, they moved the ball like okay. I think part of it was because Billy Billy Donovan really went to that lineup a decent amount. That's kind of how he wants to play. He likes those ball-moving offenses. That's how he played at Florida. I didn't think Paul had a particularly good uh, chemistry with Ray Felton. Felton. Felton had like a solid year as a backup last year, but he's a lot of isolations, and he's the kind of guy that like you go to and you look at synergy and you see that like 11% of his possessions he finishes in isolation. You're like, that is off by 89%. <laughs> there is no way that that is correct. And, uh, and, and I just thought that the chemistry wasn't always there and when they had Westbrook out it was just like Paul George is not he's great at a lot of things but he's not a tremendous creator against a lot of sorts of lineups and I think when they put him with the bench he just kind of went into him getting his mode a lot and uh, I think I think that made it tough you know his handles a little bit sloppy at times and uh, they, I, I believe you seem like you have numbers in front of me so please correct me if I'm wrong I don't want to be spreading misinformation about Paul George bench lineups from 2017 but uh, I, I believe they 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 had like slow pay, like or like a really bad pace and um, which is not necessarily uh, you know a, a way to utilize some of the personnel that they have you know when you have Terrence Ferguson you might be better off getting in transition when you're playing with Jeremy Grant at the five you might be better off getting in transition a little more and I know that's a goal they have for this year I I really think if you replay it the offense would not be as bad statistically as it was but like it was it was really unproductive yeah no I, I think that's a, an issue for sure. Let's talk about some of the new additions. Uh, Schroeder, you think he's going to close games uh, for these guys? He's obviously not going to start. Uh, I mean, I think there'll be times when they feel like they can't play Robertson, uh, you know, d- due to the following issues. Although, obviously, once it gets to the last two minutes, uh, that's less of a concern. Uh, you know, George obviously is going to be in the closing lineup. Stephen Adams. So you know you're going to have Westbrook, George, and Adams. How do you see the closing lineup shaking out around those three guys? All right. So caveat yeah. first, and you know this is true. Bill- like if you're on a Billy Donovan team, there is a different closing lineup all the time. Like Billy would close games with Samaj Christian off the ball. Like it was, he's going to throw guys out there. And sometimes Alex Abrinas is going to be there. And sometimes Terrence Ferguson is going to be there. And sometimes Pat Patterson and Jeremy Grant. Uh, and he's just going to mix guys around. I do think for the most part, assuming Andre Robertson is close to, or just at what he was pre-injury, I think Andre Robertson is going to be out there a decent amount and they're just going to have to deal with the lack of shooting they're going to have around Westbrook because you put all these non-shooters around Westbrook and it's obviously an issue they've had for years and yet you look at the 
production. You look at the numbers, and we've got a decade-long sample on this at this point. It's like Westbrook can prop up an offense to at least like respectable levels just on his own, yeah. uh, even if you have no that, really that's help been the history, and, and shooting around him. Although, you know, it, one of these years, he's going to take a step back. Uh, I mean, he already did last yeah. year, uh, and maybe we'll see it again, although he came on as the season went on. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could see, again, this is going to be the time where he could be worked. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think he's in for any sort of plummet. I think he's still the yeah. same tier or caliber of player at this point he's he's about to hit 30 and um you know i think you know there's there's talk you talk to some people and they say he lost a quarter of a step and some people say sometimes he looked like he lost a quarter of a step and sometimes he looked like he lost a half a step and sometimes he just looked totally like himself but I don't think anybody um, really thinks, especially within that organization, considering they just gave him a, a relatively large extension, <laughs> that uh, his his fall off is is like imminent or anything like that. Uh, so I think you're going to see Robertson. There are a lot. Billy tends to tends to sway towards defense, and he he really loves Robertson's game, especially in those final really two minutes. Like, he can't hack him. Also, anyway. isn't really like some awesome option for offense anyway. You know, right? I and mean, maybe maybe that man true. if. Right. Maybe it is. I mean, here, here, it's not going to be a Brinus consistently. It's just not. I think at this point we can say like there's some players who coaches look for excuses to play and some some players who coaches look for excuses not to play. And they can like you can look at like their 2K rating and they can have the same rating, you know, but it's just like there's that kind of player. And, yeah. and a Brinus That's is a the guy who under it, Billy Donovan. Way, I like that. They, they look for excuses to play and not play. I appreciate that. I should be a writer. So a Brinus is just a guy who Billy Donovan has kind of always looked for excuses not to play. He'll hit six threes against Memphis and next game he's just not getting time because you know his, his, his defense is just it's not even inconsistent it's just almost never there uh, and and so he's I don't think he's going to be that guy maybe it's Schroeder I think a lot of it is going to depend on how he is defensively he likes to pick up guys he, he's he's capable I can say of picking up guys uh, full court which I know is something that Donovan likes to do when he has guys who can do it but he hasn't been that good defensively in Atlanta I mean, he, but he's like, been you know, atrocious they, they, they by stopped. the numbers I mean he is yeah. really 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 bad losing shooters off the ball like I, I made the joke when they acquired him that the competition between who's going to be worse falling asleep off the ball between him and Westbrook will, will be an interesting one to track all year <laughs> yeah I mean a lot of it's going to depend on that it, it's I I do I do subscribe to the theory that it is difficult to evaluate to a T those parts of guys games when they're i think we can agree shooters talented i don't think he was that good last year but he's talented it certainly is a backup point guard in like a 25 minute a game role uh and i think it's hard to evaluate to a t a guy's like off ball defense when he's on a horrible team yeah. and you just know he's just treading there and i don't think we're going to see Schroeder come over and be some old world defender but like we've seen moments where he's played passable defense yeah. in his he, career and it's the happened best he's played actually has been guarding the two i thought in some of those playoff series against washington he's actually done like a pretty good job tracking bradley beal around screens for example yeah and that's something that he may just have to do because westbrook westbrook does not guard guys who run off screens like you're not you're not going to put Schroeder on the one and put westbrook on a dude running off screens maybe if there's a guy you can throw westbrook on who's just you know someone you can hide him on in the corner or something like that you can do it but westbrook guys guards either ball handlers who operate at the top of the key or you hide him in the corner and that's it you're not you're not running him around off screen so so maybe if that's something that he shows to be passable at 
then then he's there. I'm so curious to know what the shooting is going to be like. And I'm so curious to know if that's just going to doom them in the playoffs, because let's say you rely on that lineup. I mean, it's not like Schroeder was 29% from three last year. And there was like some, I think it was also 29 or 30% on catch and shoot threes. So it's not like he shot yeah. well in catch and, he and shoot scenarios very, and he just he needs doesn't have a very broke. versatile release either. I mean, he's going to kind of, it takes him a while to get it off. Yeah. So I just, if, if you close with Paul George is your only shooter and Jeremy Grant's at power forward uh like you got adams who's just a flat out inside the arc guy you got grant you know it's going to guard in the perimeter schroeder who is not going to scare anybody and you just westbrook's going to have the ball most of the time but when paul george has the ball you just got four non-shooters around paul george like that's tough like that is that is really hard and i think they will make it work during the regular season but that's going to be really hard when you get to like game five of a playoff series against anybody an eight seed like that's just hard uh, i agree with you uh they also got Nerlens Noel and Schroeder has some talent Noel has some talent as well um but you know Stephen Adams is going to be the main guy they also you know Jeremy Grant was probably a more effective backup center last year than Nerlens Noel was I mean I, I like the sign I think he's got a lot of upside but I can I don't understand for Noel's standpoint why he wanted to go to OKC because this is a team that has you know doesn't appear to have that much of a path for playing time you know he I'm kind of thinking he's looking like you know a 10 minute game guy here yeah i mean i think they're gonna be nights where he doesn't play at all like sure jeremy grant was good as a backup five last year you can it's 2018 you can get away with jeremy grant as your backup five the thunder just did for a full season and we just talked about they played lineups with none of the big three or steven adams in them last year with jeremy grant was literally the best player on those bench lineups he was their best bench player last year and he was the best player on those all bench lineups and they were net positives and that's craziness. That's another thing with the weird thing from the bench last year. I don't fully get. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be weird with Noel because I just yeah, I think he's going to be a ten minute a game guy. I, I part of me wonders why he took it. I, I the the thing that's been billed, at least to me, is that like and granite, you know, I'm sure the Thunder are very proud to tell people this, that he sees that he believes that he can, you know, kind of rebuild his career and his reputation as 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 you know a more reliable sort of personality in the locker room reliable encore presence all those sorts of things but like hey he bet on himself last year and there were still some issues and he ended up getting minimum contract after he took the qualifying offer so you know who knows if he's going to be able to do that in oklahoma city and he's got adams who's very good in front of him and billy donovan loves jeremy grant loves jeremy grant like he is not going to hesitate to put jeremy grant at the five if noel isn't isn't producing and grant's a better offensive player than noel is and might be a better defensive player when noel's not going right too you know who i think is actually the key to this thunder season is patrick patterson who yeah he's an interesting one he was so down last year it was was, he was was just health related right he just never really came back from the. that's what they said that's what they said i don't never that good because he was good in toronto right i mean that like i I didn't make that oh yeah uh no he was good in toronto yeah i i I don't think he was never i think he was worse last year but i don't think it was just the health stuff i i don't i i think there was trying to think of the right way to put it because now i'm on a popular podcast so i don't want to deal with the aggregators like myself having to aggregate what i say here so uh I think they're I just don't think he was comfortable with the basket not like not like emotionally. 
I don't think he was comfortable with the basketball situation. Patrick Patterson is a guy who once, and granted, he was playing in Toronto, which was, when he was there, major isolation heavy offense. But Pat, but he still got his touches. And I, I think Patterson, like you look at his usage, he's always been a low usage guy. But my God, his usage, especially in the beginning parts of last year, was like unacceptable. Like it doesn't matter how bad of an offensive player you are. You need to sustain like a, a usage high enough to where somebody will go guard you or else they would just forget you're on the court and you become unplayable offensively even if you are a 40 percent shooter from the corners or something like that because they just know you're not going to get the ball or you're not going to shoot the ball there was a point last year where his usage was like nine percent or something like that and i think he i think he grew from a basketball perspective a little bit uncomfortable and was never able to get the groove and yeah part of it was that he missed training camp because he had the knee scope in late august and he was coming back from that and he was definitely a little bit slower and he definitely looked quick as the year went on he had some really nice defensive stints off the bench for the thunder he went with these all switch lineups and he did a really good job switching out the wings staying in front of them that kind of stuff uh, but i do think there's also a comfort thing there i think paul george resigning made it very clear some guys don't hate playing with russell westbrook uh but i do think uh i i, I don't want to say he hates playing with russell westbrook but i do think the fact that he was a little bit uncomfortable he, he didn't play a ton with, with the starters yeah, was he didn't came out. play a ton with westbrook no there's anyway. a reason oh, so you think yeah there's there's a reason and there was no point guard to get in the ball in the reserves yeah. well i do think you know for patterson he is the one stretch option that they have i mean he is the only guy at the four or five position who can hit a three and they're, they're gonna need that at some point i i agree with you that he started to look better physically but i, I and perhaps because he was so bad you know there's a little bit of a feedback loop there that like all right we're not gonna throw this guy the ball because he's been terrible and then you know once he was more capable of playing as he did in toronto he still didn't really get the ball much um you know i also think that he is like the one ball mover on this team as well like he'll get the ball and actually just make a quick pass and a quick decision which just nobody else on this team does and adding dennis Schroeder is not going to help with that either uh and robertson might move it quickly but that's just because he's like you know just doesn't want to get fouled or something um so i think yeah yeah. there's there's a great there's great basketball value and this sounds so simple but like i really believe it there's great basketball value even regardless of what a guy's numbers are there's great basketball value in a player who just makes the right decision 95 percent of the time yeah and he's one of the few guys i would point to on this team i mean i don't think they have even anyone you could say and patrick patterson you're stretching it here to say is an above average passer for their position on this team i mean westbrook has a huge assist percentage but you know that's really more about him uh creating the play and then making a pass i mean he's definitely improved his passing by a ton but you don't think of him as a classic guy who's just gonna move the ball um terrence ferguson alex abrinas timothy luau cabarro who came over uh, in that trade who's gonna play the most out of those guys because they really the the backup shooting guard and if robertson can't be ready to start the season the starting shooting guard spot is wide open right now. yeah probably ferg i i I've, i'm pretty confident in that prediction billy donovan's a big terrence ferguson fan uh he, he had a rough he, summer he league. really likes yes he did but let's put an asterisk there like the thunder were using him in summer league in a way they will not be using him in the regular season they 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 expected him to have a terrible summer league because they said all right here's the ball handle at the top of the key run some pick and rolls we want to make you uncomfortable we want to put you in a position to where sure. we can see if you're gonna you, you can handle the ball because maybe in three years that's something you'll be doing and you know what? I, I thought it was smart. 
I thought that was a good way to handle it. And uh, that's not how he's going to play at all during the regular season. He's going to be catch and shoot. He's going to be cuts. The only time he's going to be having to create is like late in the shot clock or something. I don't think in a bench, even in a bench unit, like a like a bench unit with three guys hurt, like maybe. But that's that's it. Uh, so I, I, his summer league doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me. He shot the ball really well in the second half of the season. He was like in the high thirties yeah. from three and re- and really good on catch and shoots. I, I think he's going to be a pretty reliable shooter. Like I think something in the mid thirties from three and good numbers on catch and shoots is a very realistic goal for this season. I think he improved a lot defensively. Now he wasn't a really good defender by any means at the end of the year, but I did think that he was a good defender for a rookie yeah. by the end of the year. He, he moves his feet. Well, he got much, much better at recognizing off ball screens, like significantly better. You could you could tell from the way that he shuffled his feet and, and got away from screens. And there were times where even like guarding Clay Thompson in February, where he did a couple things. It's like, oh, he he did not. Or maybe it was the March game where it was like he, he definitely would have gotten leveled on that screen in November. And uh, the Thunder are really excited about his his work ethic and uh, kind of the Billy Donovan always talks about the way that he absorbs information and how you tell him one thing and he just knows it and he's able to kind of apply it quickly so i i think of those guys it'll be ferg like i think abrinus is what he is I, i've always thought that abrinus can be a guy who can be a rotation player uh, especially if he can ever find a way to kind of get himself open off the ball and i i genuinely don't know if his inability to be effective as like a guy uh running off pin downs and that kind of stuff is because he's been unable to to implement it effectively in the nba because he did do it when he was in spain or if it's because just you know it's just one of those effects of the way that the thunder play with just kind of that slogging yeah. you know one man one man yeah. basketball I mean, so I, I honestly don't know year. you know i mean i i felt like there, there are good. ways in which he could help but yeah i mean he does especially against the best teams especially if he's going to try and play at the end of games i mean he is just uh pretty much a turnstile with yeah. his lack of strength um yeah so i, th- I think ferg is is probably the best bet I, I i know he put on a little weight but everyone's everyone's put on five to ten pounds of muscle in august yeah so uh do you have a sense? So yeah, I do think you have a sense for how, like, t- real briefly, or how TLC fits into their plans at all? Is that just kind of? I mean, he's. We do know at least with Billy Donovan that everyone will get a chance at some point. So everyone's gonna get a chance. Yeah, I mean, maybe if it's TLC, maybe it's just because they think that he's the most like Robertson, so he can be the, you know, he can be yeah. the kind of the duplicate. He can be, he can be Keith Bogans in that situation. So maybe if he's a starter, that's the reason why, because just kind of a- attribute wise, he's he's the most similar. I don't really know what his role is is going to end up being like, but Billy's going to shuffle like you know how he is. He's just going to shuffle guys in. He's going to shuffle guys out. And if someone's playing well, he's just going to ride him until he's not. And he, he has somewhere between five and seven guys on a roster who he trusts. And those last two just go. Like last year, the back end of the rotation was Abrinas, it was Ferguson, it was Josh Eustace. And that was the back end of like the rotation guys who would sometimes play and sometimes not. And there was just never a point where all three were playing. It was always either one or two of them were yeah. playing. And he would just musical chairs them in uh, the bottom of the rotation. And I just I don't see why it's going to be any different, but just with different people this year paul george also had a surgery in the offseason i mean and you know the more we go through this the more concerned i'm starting to get about this team i think just in general i mean you've got george and westbrook as regression candidates 
you've got Robertson coming off a of surgery you've got George coming off a of surgery so you know, I'm worried about the health or just performance decline of those guys coming off a of surgery you know, they're trying to integrate Schroeder as well um you know there's a lot of talent here then obviously the lack of shooting is always there as well you know it's hard for me to see how this team can get into the top 10 in offense and maybe even the top 15 uh, with some of the limitations that, that they have but you know George's health I mean he said to the Oklahoman on August 1st that he still has a long way to go he also had this uh a procedure on his right elbow where he had a, an inflamed bursa sack uh which he said it was affecting his shooting but uh you know what was the, the latest of that surgery he had it on May 9th uh that's it was supposed to be one of these you know six to eight week cleanup type of things he's saying on August 1st he has a long way to go but supposed to be, be ready for camp is this maybe a little bit more of a severe surgery than we might have thought or at least was advertised you know i'm not sure i don't i don't necessarily think so i think with paul saying he has a long way to go i think sometimes paul just says stuff yeah he does like just I, say stuff that's that, a great point that that really look paul is the most agreeable person an nba beat writer could possibly work with you can ask him the dumbest question and he will give you the most polite answer you have ever received in your life and i think sometimes paul just says stuff to say it like i asked him about his uh you know every year he has like a month where he just stops shooting the ball well for like a full month every year and uh, the past few it had been in march and i i asked him i just asked him like why why does that happen every year that it just seems like you have this prolonged cold streak and it's been march the last few years and he said say so thought it was maybe it's the 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 cold weather like that doesn't make any sense it's march like you shot great in january and february and then everybody was jumping on it's like oh he wants warm weather he's going to la so we can never slump again and so like sometimes he just says stuff i'm sure after paul walked away from that scrum he was like what the hell was i just talking about and so like i i think sometimes you have to take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt from from what i've been told he's he's moving okay and and all that but like you don't see it until training camp and and he starts to get into stuff as for the shoulder as for the arm stuff like he complained about his arm all year last year all year and he called he kept saying he had forearm tightness from like the very beginning of the year he started saying it in like november or december and at the end of the year he had like i think it was like 20 ounces that's was it? That's uh, bond temps said, reported yeah. it recently. oh yeah i'm sorry it was yeah this is what i'm looking at actually it's just an aggregation to oklahoma and so yeah it was actually aggregation kills it yeah initially. so yeah bond temps reported that he had like 20 ounces from uh from was drained from his 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 bursa sack in his right elbow i mean 20 ounces imagine if he had an extra 20 ounces of fluid weighing you down as a shooter like that's that's got to be difficult so i don't know how much having that gone is going to help him i imagine it will because he complained about it all year and even though he did shoot the ball pretty well i mean he had that slump he still shot 40 percent from three like he had a, a good shooting season uh, and I don't know how much the knee is going to weigh him down. I don't know, Nate. It's hard to predict injuries in the middle of August when, like, I haven't seen these dudes play. And, like, sure. you talk to people who have, like, seen them play pickup. But it's like they're watching them play pickup. You know, no one's actually going going hard. So, like, it's it's just tough to tough to predict this kind of stuff. But I do know that, that, that like, I don't think we should underestimate the arm stuff because he really did consistently. Every few weeks he'd just be, like, he complained about it. He was icing it all year. His arm, I mean. He was icing it all year. He was like, you know, 
going through alternating methods on it. He would massage it when he was sitting on the bench. Like he, he, he that was a real thing. So let's talk about the, a little more about the outlook for the season. 48 and 34 a year ago had the point differential of a 50 win team. And, and early on, they really were extremely unlucky. That actually normalized uh, as the season went on, but they had some really rough uh, close game losses early on in the season. They were eight and 12 at one point. Uh, but I mean, I, I think it's just a, interesting question in general here are they gonna be better this year or worse i mean i think there are data points that that would indicate uh either direction i think they're going to be better and i know i know you guys joke every time someone comes on that the 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 beat writer always predicts Yeah, last year that actually wasn't the case as much uh maybe maybe because i I poisoned the well by making that comment but (laughs) also you're not the beat writer anymore so now you now you can actually be objective you don't that's true now i can come on those sources anymore i can (laughs) You can burn them to flames. Sam Presti should be out. Terrible job. I uh, I I I think they're gonna be better. I I do. I think if only because they had some horrible luck. I forget what the exact number was. They were like one in nine in games that went into clutch time. Their first ten right. games that went into clutch time, like within five points of five or fewer minutes to go, they lost nine of those ten games or something like that. Eight of nine, whatever it was. It was like horrifically unlucky, and it was almost like a makeup for the previous season when they were arguably the luckiest team in the league with all the late Westbrook heroics during his MVP season. And they had the second best net rating during clutch time in the entire league. And, and so it was, it was interesting to see that go back and forth, but still they were without a doubt, extremely uncomfortable over those first 20 games. They were uncomfortable for a lot of the year, but those first 20 games, especially Westbrook, he just looked like a different player than he did for the rest of the year. And if you just extrapolate those final 62 games, if you say, all right, they're not going to start eight and 12 last year. Let's just say who they were. They, they'll be who they were over the final 62. And we just prorate that over an 82 game season. That's a 53 win team. And I think something in that range, 52, 53, they're obviously a little different with Schroeder there. I, I do think the offense is going to be a little bit more free flowing, a little bit less uncomfortable with Melo out of there. And I do think even if Robertson is 90%, like they have an opportunity to be one of the five best defenses in the NBA. Him and Paul George are arguably the best defensive win combination in the league. Steven Adams is a very, very good pick and roll defender, an excellent team defender, one of the best communicators and general anchors in the league from that sense. So I I think they have an opportunity to be a a really excellent defense and they've got continuity on their side in that case, too. They're bringing back a lot of those defensive minded guys. So something in the 52 ish range sounds right to me. So did you agree with my assessment that they're not going to be a top 10 offense? Uh what were they last year? Were they 11? Uh, they actually, let's see. Um, let me get the more reliable stats in front of me here. They were the seventh best offense in the NBA per cleaning class. That is really very surprising uh, that they that they were that good, uh, especially because they really struggled early and they, they came on uh, to quite a degree. And I, I do think that, though, having Robertson out of the lineup the second half of the year actually really helped the offense. Um, you know, it, yeah, they had a nice little run there with Corey Brewer. I No. <laughs> No, I think with this with offensive stalwart Corey Brewer, I uh, no, I think they're probably a t- off the top of my head. I think they're probably a, I think they're a top ten. Which how many teams are going to be top ten offense, top ten defense? Yeah, I mean that, that's uh, that's always your. I mean because you really you know, to get into championship contention, that's always uh, the the thought there. And then, but you know to even get. I mean, there are like, like only like five teams, right? Four teams. Like it's going to be Boston. Toronto has a chance. Obviously, Golden State. Yeah, Houston. Um, Houston, but is Houston going to be top ten defense? 
chance this year yeah, we'll see i mean i think their their execution might be good we'll, we'll have to see how things uh end up with the old friend carmel anthony yeah, i mean i think i think you can say that they have like the fourth or fifth best chance of being top 10 in both categories of any team in the league right philadelphia forgot philadelphia yeah i think they're going to be hard pressed to have like that great of a lineup either frankly or i'm sorry that great of an offense either frankly yeah i mean for them probably a lot of it is just just health i mean their starters were so good last year if you can play them a load of minutes then they're really good let's see so with andre robertson on the floor the offense was not that much worse with robertson on the floor robertson's net rating last year was incredible the defense was like 11 points per 100 better and the offense pretty much didn't change that so, much. so they were they were 107 points per 100 with robertson now part of that was you know westbrook was just so bad the first month and a half or so of the year and that's when he was playing but I, you know so that's three points per 100 worse than their overall number for the season um so so that i i, th- I do think that he hurts the offense and, and and then he's going to be a little bit worse. If I had to predict where their offense is going to land, I think it's going to be like 12th this year. Um, but you, you're more optimistic, it sounds like. Than- yeah, no, I think I think they're going to be like, I don't disagree that much. I think they're going to be like on the on the edge of 10th. Like I'd put them sneaking into somewhere in that 9, 10 range. I, I don't know why I thought they were. That's 7th according to Clean the Glass. So yeah. I guess I think they might have been 11, 11 on NBA.com. Uh, yeah, I, I'd put them in. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I think I think I'm somewhere in about that same range because the shooting just there is no shooting and that's scary i think that's gonna hurt them more in the postseason than it will in the regular season but you know sam Presti's always at a type he wants his athletes he wants his wings he wants his defenders and they got a lot of wings their whole team is just all wings now yeah. like it's yeah they got and that's that's Diallo a very press draft, uh right and just be just because just we have to at least to mention the name of every person on the roster once kyle singler that concludes the kyle, kyle singler, singler yes but i don't know I don't know when this podcast comes out, but Kyle Singler may not be on the roster by the time it does. Uh, it comes, it got... comes out tomorrow, so I think we'll be okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they got two weeks until he may not be on the roster anymore in that case. Uh, but, but yeah. yeah that, I mean, that, of course, is the deadline to stretch the shooting, him for uh, this season and yes. spread his salary over the next three years. The shooting is just concerning. I mean, they're gonna they're probably going to be like okay on attempts. Like when I say okay, yeah. I don't they mean They like, didn't I mean, quietly like, okay. get up a lot of threes last year. Right. Well, that's what – because West – Russell Westbrook creates a lot of threes like he that that's 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 like his best trait as a passer he creates a lot of threes now he's inaccurate on a lot of his on a lot of his kickouts to the perimeter once he hits the paint and that's that's kind of one of those weird Westbrook things it's a thing that they really really want to shore up internally just Westbrook making sure that he hits guys in shooting pockets as opposed to just throwing it so somebody can catch it and then you know Paul George having to shoot a pass that came to his shoe tops uh, but they create threes like they're they're OK. Like, I think they could be in the middle of the pack of the league and three point attempts. But like they could literally be last in the league in percentage. And and they're just more importantly than the actual percentage. It's like when you get to a playoff series, like teams are not going to be closing out on Jeremy Grant. They're just going to be making sure Russell Westbrook doesn't get to the rim. And that's what happened to Westbrook against Utah last year. Yeah, Utah was a really bad matchup for these guys. You know, and I think the win numbers during the regular season are nice i'll give my official prediction in a moment but you know i think it's really difficult for me to predict whether this team is going to get to the second round or not because we just don't know who they're going to be playing against if they're playing against utah that's a horrible matchup like russell westbrook can't score inside 
night against Rudy Gobert. You know, Utah is just too good defensively. They're not going to make mental errors. They're not going to let the Thunder get out in transition, which is obviously such an important part of their offense, especially with the lack of shooting. They got to run it down guys' throat. Uh, and Westbrook, of course, is so good at that. Um, you know, if they're going against a Portland or uh, New Orleans or, you know, a, a team that's not like a great defensive team, then I think, you know, they can still score against those guys and then their defense can take over and they can you know i think other than utah i think they've got a pretty decent chance you know obviously the lakers would be a really interesting one as well uh against any of those teams that project to be you know denver i think they would be totally fine against denver uh against these teams that project to be in that range so i thought they got the worst possible matchup last year in the first round you know uh, unless you're counting houston or golden state obviously yeah i think that's i think that's fair and utah was playing so well at that time too and i think they'll be i think they'll be really good again this year yeah that was that was tough uh, but i think them going up against a good defense is just gonna be generally hard for them especially come deep in a series like we have seen so many times individuals get killed because they can't shoot in playoff series and become unplayable how many guys could we potentially see on the thunder who could become unplayable who could play major regular season roles and then become unplayable but then have to continue playing because <laughs> the guy behind them is equally as unplayable for the same reason yeah uh, yeah so i mean if if i had to pick now and we just don't know where the lakers are going to be we don't new orleans i mean there's a lot of these teams that we don't really know what they're going to look like by the end of the year i mean i think we probably have a better idea of what this team's going to look like than a lot of these teams um so you know i think if i had to pick i think i, I would have them going out in the first round um but it, what do you think you, would you pick them to get to the second round i i won't phrase it like that because i just can't say without the matchups but i i think they'll be top i'm i'm, I'm picking them top four in the west so i think i think think if all goes as i predict as it always does i think they'll have home court in the first round which they had last year and then they lost but the west is so the west is tough like i think i think they're in the same tier as utah and the lakers you know if we go by tiers i think it's 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 golden state in its own and then you got houston in its own and then you got kind of them and the lakers and 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 utah just kind of there at around that low 50s wins mark but i'm a little higher on the lakers than the average person too yeah well uh that average is skewed by a lot of laker fans there are a lot of laker fans out there um so so your official <laughs> you said 50 to 53 i, I mean i'm gonna have to narrow you down here i need an official prediction what's the are we going by over under no i'm just saying you, you're, you're no for oh, you to just predict I'm, the number i'm giving of wins. i'm giving i'm giving i think i wrote an official prediction somewhere because i did do an over under column and i think i wrote an official prediction uh and i don't remember what my exact number was well, so we've been talking about them for uh, hours so you might actually you're probably in a better position no that's way. true that that is true i'm I'm giving 52. Okay. 52 sounds good. That sounds like sounds like a, a a good number for them. I think you yeah. 52. Let's do. It. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm actually in. go 47. I, I I'm feeling a little bit lower. The health. I mean, this is one of those ones where you know, part of my bet here is health, and so if when you bet against health and they're healthy, you can end up looking really stupid. Uh, but that's uh, that's gonna be my pick. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. Mid 50s maybe. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say like, 53 would be my best case scenario. Yeah. It's mid 50s is like robertson comes back all the way westbrook just like plays at the best version of himself you know he and paul george are kind of even more on the same page than they were in their in their good moments from last year and the defense is top five in the offense if the defense let's say the defense finishes fourth and the offense finishes because we're talking best case scenario the offense finishes like seventh how many wins is that good for like that's probably a 56 win team right yeah. could be yeah I, I i'm going with 53 i just don't see quite as much upside on 
the the offense uh and then worst case scenario I'll, I'll go with 41 wins and out of the playoffs i think that's not impossible especially with the health concerns that you know westbrook this 30 years old you know i mean he's one of the greatest athletes in nba history but he's very reliant on that athleticism if george you know doesn't come back as the same guy uh after this knee surgery so i i think it could be that low I, i'm guessing you're a little higher than that uh yeah we're i mean worst case definitely out of the playoffs yeah. the west is so good like the only two teams i'll say will definitely I think the Lakers will definitely make the playoffs just because I, I won't say LeBron won't make the playoffs and then the other two at the top. Uh, but yeah, they could definitely miss the playoffs. Uh, worst case, uh, worst case, barring some sort of, you know, extreme broken yeah, leg yeah. for one of their best right. guys. Uh, no, I honestly am probably around yeah. you. 40, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll continue with the theme of me being more optimistic than you and I'll just say 42. Okay, well, good. That is uh, the type of science. Because I'm a, I'm a more positive person than you are. So I'll say 42. That's probably true. Yeah. At least, <laughs> at least about NBA basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm a total curmudgeon about everything else. Yeah. All right, so that's true. This is a, a subject that's near to my heart. I mean, as the guest, I wasn't gonna like ask you to do a bunch of preparation coming on here, but I assembled a. I want to yeah. make I want to make it clear that I did literally no preparation. Yeah. Well, other than covering the team for all of last year. <laughs> oh, I thought we were t- moving on to some. Oh, oh, we are. Okay, yeah, yeah, but so, so okay, but but in general, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just came up with a list of some of the players who you know I, I feel define the summer league experience guys who have played a lot that you know have some appeal either for positive or, or negative in terms of just like this is what it's like to watch summer league but probably not guys who ever made any kind of an impact in the league and, and maybe never will but the guys who are there year after year uh I, th- I think obviously you have to start with jack cooley uh there's really to me it, it just there's no more quintessential summer league player the guy who actually gets chance now uh, at this point i think this is either his fourth or fifth summer league he was with the suns this year uh so that's a guy i mean great great guy great effort guy but probably not gonna ever have a significant nba career but he's gonna be there and he's gonna play hard and he's gonna make rookie rookie big men look stupid by giving up uh, a bunch of offensive rebounds every year can i uh so so a couple things to know about jack curry or jack curry jack cooley jack cooley jack i'm like i'm losing my mind jack curry is uh the in-studio analyst for the new york yankees on yes network uh a couple things about jack cooley first of all if you tweet about jack cooley he will always like your tweet within even two hours. even if you don't it's add great. him if you just say jack cooley yeah, yeah yeah he 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 searches his name on twitter like for sure and will always uh like like your tweet it's uh I don't, he's never liked wonderful. one of my tweets i've tweeted about him before maybe he does maybe oh, it's I he just every, I, i'm not significant enough because i'm just independent that, that i just don't show up on his radar screen <laughs> maybe it's because i only tweet pithy things about jack cooley when i tweet about jack cooley other thing jack cooley has my favorite or one of my favorite until this year, NBA PA announcer moments, which is when his rookie year at Summer League, he hit a mid-range shot. And as he was running back, the PA guy called him Luke Karangoti. <laughs> And that's actually how his summer league career started off. That's fantastic. And uh, those guys, you know, somewhat similar builds, uh, very similar haircuts. They look the same as well. Oh my god, they're they, they're also. It's not that they have similar Jack, haircuts. Jack actually that they are up the... this year, though. He had like the nice side part going this year. He did. Yeah. He didn't have well, the it's... part now anymore. <laughs> it's not it's the although part part now. Part now doesn't have the part now anymore now either he's, he's going he's going a little more close crop but it's kind of like it's he's it's the to, to describe it it's 
like it used to it started off as a crew cut but then like it got a little bit longer and just hasn't been trimmed yet and then starts to get long enough that it just sort of like comes forward over the forehead like just like just like an inch or two um but that but it still is like kind of a crew cut like the you know just like the the sides of the head it's like not long enough to where it starts to like come over the side with its own gravity it's like still kind of sticking out so it, it looks like you know almost like antenna sticking out the side of the head a little bit uh it's really just a a tour de force but sadly uh it appears to have fallen out of favor to, to some degree for, for some reason that i don't well understand. the great the great part of the jack cooley and luke Karangodi haircut is that only jack cooley and luke Karangodi have it so there's obviously some some barbershop in south bend indiana which specializes <laughs> in this haircut oh no dude the only let, let me let me tell you something having grown up in the chicago area and like all these dudes like went to went to catholic school and like wanted to go to notre dame and like that was like their life's goal and then guys who went to notre dame and then were back like hanging out in uh chicago i mean th- think of how like california people view like usc people that's sort of how like i view uh notre dame people also both my parents went to michigan so that's, that was part of my uh part of my disdain uh but nonetheless uh no there's plenty of dudes that have that haircut don't worry <laughs> in the chicago area those are those are my only two reference points so i'm uh <laughs> i'm sticking with it casper where's a fun one yeah yeah are we moving yeah, on no, 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 I, I, sadly i i fear we must i mean we can kind of can we can we group together casper Ware and jerome randall i think so I, some of these i just can we make them a summer league hybrid? I, I mean in some of my conversations with nba people I, I was a little bit loopy this year uh so this is one of the discussions that i had with just like team personnel guys of like who who needed to be in there um yeah no i mean there's always like the kind of undersized point guard like casper Ware is there aaron miles someone who's suggested me as well a, a guy who i really think uh deserves to be on here is jeff ledbetter you know that is i do because i remember the name but because it's a really great name 30 he is got like a a man bun like ponytail blonde uh just like shooter guy you know doesn't really have NBA athleticism but he played with like austin last year he was on this i think he was on the spurs again uh, this year um but i really think it's more in the bigs that you really get it uh because there's just like there's just something about the summer league big men especially because part of the experience is like between the five minute mark of the first quarter and the five minute mark of the second quarter and then again in the second half you know you just have all these guys come in it's just like guys trying to post up you just have no business posting up and it's just like it, it just the game just turns into a total eyesore so it, it's really more about the bigs mia um rafael putney uh is jeff jeff ledbetter yeah. by the way totally got teased when he was growing up and that it sounds awful like he the kids totally called him jeff bedwetter a hundred percent wow you're that's uh that is dark um <laughs> It's, it's reaching it's what reaching was back your, to what was depressing. your most like name related tease that you uh, oh, received um Gr- growing oh, up in uh, the new york fa- area fa- you know with all these all these musicals was like you know fred Katz <laughs> the musical like was that <laughs> no there was uh i was i was kind of chubby so there was fats <laughs> <laughs> that was it's so that, simple and, and beautiful i mean this it's how, so how, obvious how you have to kids, go to it kids are just so mean to each other dude like it's really it's oh like, my god and, and i mean you know my fiance and i have talked about you know names for potential children and we're just like we gotta just not screw up we we just whatever we do we're not going for like a good name we're not going for something that's like so unique we just need to not fuck it up and like just just find something that's just <laughs> absolutely as like benign as yeah. possible so our poor child doesn't get made fun of look when we're when we're kids we're all terrible and we're mean but then we grow up and we just get better oh god this is that's this is like your twitter account (laughs) 
live. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's you, you know, I, I'm running the Kings preview boring. after this. Like, we, we just guys, just hold on. This will be over soon. I promise. We'll, we'll actually wait. Come wait, back to wait. The summer league, Hannah. the summer league all stars, the summer league all stars is the Kings preview. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, here's a few more names for you. Uh, yes, let's do it. Our two good ones got to yeah, be Yeah, no, that's that's a good one. I mean, he was a first-round draft pick, but he's, I, I mean, I think he actually might be, I think I read he's like the all-time leading scorer in Summer League now or something. Uh, that is accurate. Okay. Uh, DJ Stefan is a really good one because, like, he's just, like, always had, like, great NBA athleticism, but he's basically, like, has the skills of a five-man, but just, you know, in the layup lines, you know, he'll just, like, snap a somnambulant crowd out of their slumber and, you know, with just some massive dunk. So he's got to be in there. Uh eric griffin is another one like just a like a big dunk artist but like kind of skinny has had some cups of coffee but you know never really went anywhere uh anyone else that comes to mind for you we don't have enough big yeah, stiff my, white guys on this list i know that's true we have enough making the list but not enough on the list i uh i have one guy <laughs> who you know how you know how like i'm sure you have it every every like ginormous basketball nerd has like their dude who is who is like not a first round pick either second round pick or undrafted and you just like really think that he's going to be good and then he just never makes it and even like years down the line he could be like 82 years old and you're like i still think he can play in the league uh scott scott machado is my guy oh he's he's a great he was in summer league this year uh yes he was and it's just like he's still around i was walking by i was like Holy phil pressy is another good one actually for the uh, oh my guy mizzou mizzou product phil pressy um but we we need one more stiff white guy i've got a few nominees here uh alex kirk he, he was oh, memorable yes, because he's he, great he, i think he was on the Cavs team when andrew wiggins like played summer league with them before he got traded um there's another guy um like caleb tarzuski at some point could have been on this but i don't think he even played i think he's just like ensconced in europe now so i don't think he played. he's just there in spirit yeah and rafael putney just because he's like probably the skinniest big man i've ever seen he's just like on a team every year he'll like come in and jack some threes and like not really do anything else he's just been in the g league for like just forever um yeah can we get a little bit of a throwback of a summer oh, league oh, of, of a summer leaguer who's who's no longer there but is kind of like a like a mid um like a like a 2012 to 15 guy uh wasn't brandon davies there for like four years yeah he actually played in the league though for a year right on the clippers that's true i guess uh, although i mean i think i think if you league. you know just have a cup of coffee and weren't really around that's uh yeah the, the, isn't yeah, that the so guy who got thrown out of byu for like having sex girlfriend or something yes that's exactly correct that's tough that's exactly who he is there's a yeah so i guess like markel brown is too good i don't know i, I mean like he, he, he could be in there um oh i got a great one for you uh jp tokedo that's a great like one. drafted I love drafted it. late in the second round wasn't you know did, he tried to do the kj mcdaniels and so the sixers gave him you know the non-guaranteed second round contract just cut him at the end of training camp and he's never really made it back into the league uh after that but you know he'll he's like got some bounce will be right i think he played for the uh warriors this year he's been you know he's always just shows up on a different summer league team you're like ah, oh, you know this guy could be something if he develops jump shot and he just never does so uh okay i got i got i got two for you all right we get. all right uh, we got we got Torrey Murray, sure, and Arinze Onowaku. Oh, Onowaku, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, he actually has been one of the better G League players. Um, Jarnell Stokes, obviously, great rebounder, has got to be in there. The, yeah, the, there's a, there's kind of the archetype here, but I, I think this this is a solid list. If there's anyone that you guys who are listening here think need to be on there, please tweet me at Nate Duncan NBA and make sure actually uh, that you uh, at Fred Katz uh, as well. What is what is your Twitter handle these days? At Fred Katz. Oh yeah, you got it. Yeah, all right. I should just make it at fast with a Z. <laughs> <laughs> 
all right on that note th- thanks for joining us but uh quickly though for those who don't know fred is actually now covering the celtics for uh, mass live so you can check out uh, his work there he actually wrote uh, if you love summer league um minutia he wrote a, a pretty good piece on the pa announcer and thomas and mac who uh was struggling mightily with semi ojalaya and in fairness the guy has to you know learn like 300 names in summer league and and they've, they've got eight games a day so he might get a little loopy by the end of it but that, that was a fun piece that, that fred wrote over the summer well i appreciate it i've i've uh i do the job just so i can go on a podcast and have somebody plug a piece of mine from two months ago and say it's quote pretty good <laughs> that's why i do it can it fats <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, we'll uh, we'll be back in a moment here with James Ham to talk a little Kings right after this. So you may have noticed it as I have that the summer basketball podcast landscape is a little bit slow. People are on vacation here in August, but it's good to get away from the NBA for just a little bit, other than the twice a week that you listen to our show, of course, during the off season. And a great way to do that is with an audiobook from Audible. I've actually been an Audible subscriber long before this podcast was even a glint in my eye it's just a great service 2005 i've been an audible subscriber since then and the way it works is you get a credit every month that's good for any audiobook regardless of how much it costs and unused credits roll over to the next month i've been using it so much that i actually ran out of credits but they gave me a good rate on a few more great way to read sports books in particular some of the classics like breaks of the game or loose balls i've listened to both of those and your books are yours to keep even if you cancel your membership you can still go back and re-listen to them anytime if you didn't like your audiobook you can exchange it no questions asked and you can switch seamlessly between devices if you have a kindle their whisper sync technology is awesome you can be reading on your kindle pick it up in the car on your way to work or, or on the train on your way to work so the way to get started with them is with a 30-day trial and a free first audiobook go to audible.com slash cap space these remember slash cap space we talk about all the time here on the program or text cap space to 500-500 that's audible a-u-d-i-b-l-e.com slash cap space or text cap space to 500-500 you can do it with audiobooks and don't forget that slash cap space url let them know that you came from us all right so let's bring in james ham now who uh, uh is the best guy out there these days uh, doing king's coverage in my opinion and uh james i went on his podcast actually before free agency to talk kings so if you want even more of the two of us discussing kings uh, we can go there uh now that we're reconvening here what do you make of uh, this kings off season today you know it's been a strange off season nate um you know i think the kings kings fans thought that the kings would would chase some big name players uh you saw them chase zach levine which i thought was an interesting decision to chase a guy like zach levine um but uh of yeah, course, what was yeah. their internal reasoning behind that because on the surface when we talked about it it didn't seem to make much sense with them already having all of these two guards they just feel like he was that much better than the guys they already had you know i don't think they feel like he was that much better than the guys they have i think they were just they're looking at different ways to improve their club uh they need more talent that's clear and i also believe that at this point they they look at bogdanovich as a guy who can play either the two or the three so his versatility there allowed them to chase a guy like levine because they would put 
put him at the two. They would move Bogdanovich to the three, bring Buddy Heald off the bench behind uh, both of them, really. Uh, and then, of course, some Justin Jackson at the small forward as well. Um, so I think just the versatility is what they're looking for there. Also, Levine could play a little point guard. Uh, it's very clear that somewhere along the way, they weren't all that comfortable with what they had backing up uh, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, you know, they went out and they signed Yogi Ferrell. So I would say like the offseason as a whole, they really didn't add that much. Uh, you, you've got Bagley, which they got with the number two overall pick. You've got Yogi Ferrell, and then you've got Nemanja Bielitsa. Uh, I think, you know, Bielitsa and Ferrell, they actually helped the team as rotational players, but we're not talking about players that can help you make a leap that goes from maybe, you know, 27 wins to 38 wins or something. That It's just not that type of talent infusion. Uh, but I think Bagley is a guy that they really like, and, uh, you know, they passed on Luka Doncic to, to take him and they think he's a, a 2010 guy, a guy who can come in and instantly help you and has potential to be more than just your everyday average power forward. Maybe he's got superstar potential and maybe he doesn't, uh, but they're very high on him and they, they just think he's the answer long term for them. So not a lot of movement uh, and they're still sitting on an $11 million nest egg and the ability to clear up a ton more cap space if they needed to. So I'm not sure that they're totally done. Their roster is very oddly sort of formed at this point. It's very heavy on bigs. They have eight big men uh, and and they're going to have to make some moves there just to clear up space. Not all those guys can even make the team at this point. So I I think that there still needs to be a rebalancing of the roster. And I I just don't know that they have someone who's willing to play right now with them, uh, who's willing to to sit down and negotiate and, and find some common ground to to kind of clear up or rebalance two rosters uh, because of course you always need someone that takes two to tango in the league Nate yeah and obviously we discussed it when we did the pod before for agency that they have a weakness at the three I mean is it looking like Bielita is going to play more three I mean that just based on the way the roster is balanced it appears that way he actually played better than expected at the three last year in Minnesota when Jimmy Butler was out I still think of him more as a natural four in today's game uh, but he has shot it well enough to play the three I think he can play a little more three on offense or just defensively you wonder there but do you think that's the plan is for him to be their starting three man at this point I'm not sure if it's to be the starting three but he's certainly gonna play three quite a bit I think if you really look last year he played I think 22 minutes uh, per game for Minnesota and in those 22 minutes he almost split it down the middle between the small forward and the power forward position Um, I, I think he can the Kings needed a combo forward like him so I think adding him is actually a really nice thing uh, you know, it does help their roster. It helps space the floor better. Um, but I just don't think he's a starting level three. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I also don't believe that Justin Jackson is a starting level three either. And I think they're going to do a little bit by committee at that position unless they can strike a deal to really improve that position. I thought that they would have attacked that that small forward spot either in free agency or through the draft. Uh, the draft, of course, again, Doncic was sitting there and that, that could have maybe helped that position dramatically uh but in free agency there just wasn't a a really great natural fit and then we saw jabari parker got you know a lot of money for a player who's you know torn two acls and uh there's question marks about his health and and his fit and his defensive capabilities uh i I just don't think that they found the right guy to chase and you know maybe next summer when they have upwards of 60 million dollars in cap space they'll find the right guy uh but without a, a draft pick they better hope they do because if not 
this roster is going to look really strange for a while unless you know a guy like Justin Jackson decides that he is he's ready to take over and be a full-time starter at the position I just don't see that yeah I think you know he showed something in summer league we did our big long summer league prospect review and I thought Jackson looked pretty good in summer league although a lot of that you know seemed more kind of like some quadruple a plays you know scoring over the top of smaller players and so you know I think of him more almost as a two as well just because he's so thin uh you know although he does play hard he just can get overpowered um I agree I th- yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the other thing to say too before we turn to what they're going to look like this year is you know by drafting Bagley you know not only did they pass on some of the guys below them but they also really added you know the guy they view as their power forward of the future and I thought that the strength of this year's restricted free agency class if they were going to make an offer sheet like was made to Zach Levine uh to either Jabari Parker or Aaron Gordon was the other one that I thought actually would have really worked well at the four for these guys long term by drafting Bagley it didn't really make sense to do that and so I I think that was another uh, perhaps uh unforeseen consequence of that pick but you know the certainly uh Vlade Divas and company have staked a lot on him especially with them not having a draft pick especially with you know the fact that there were other fours out there that they could have gotten that four is probably the most replaceable position in today's uh, NBA let's start here by trying to project these guys just talking about where they were last year as a team and one of the things that stood out is that despite the fact that Sacramento won those 27 games which I think was below where a lot of people thought they would be they brought in those veterans and and that didn't really work out uh you know those guys didn't help them win and George Hill ended up getting traded uh but they actually won 5.1 games more than expected based on their point differential. So I, they're really kind of starting at the level of a 22-win team here as we try to project them going forward this season. Yeah, that's something I would totally point out too. This team played really well together down the stretch. I thought that they showed that that they weren't giving up on Dave Yeager and his coaching staff. Uh, I think they played really hard and every night they competed. I don't think that there was, maybe there was a couple of games during the season where they just completely laid an egg we saw it i think in atlanta where they lost by like 46 or something um oh yeah i i remember we actually i think that was one of my like worst losses of the month one year for like our our monthly wrap-up show oh yeah it was absolutely brutal um but they also did some surprising things i mean they went into miami and won for the first time and i think man it was something crazy they hadn't won there since i think 2002 Um, That, that was the fox tip dunk game right yeah yeah that was a Fox tip dunk. Um, they beat Cleveland. I think they beat Cleveland twice, right? They beat the Warriors. Uh, you know, we joked about it on the telecast that, that they had uh, basically they could have won the linear championship, you know, if, if you look <laughs> at things, uh, because they beat everyone. Yeah. Uh, and so they also lost to everyone, <laughs> but they they did a good job of, of showing up every night. And I think that that's one thing that you can kind of pin your uh, pin this season to. It's like, I, I think that there are going to be a lot of mistakes, right? They're a young team. They're going to run run young players out there. George Hill is gone, of course, but Zach Randolph, if he even plays, he's going to play very small amounts of minutes. And besides him, they only have Bielitsa, who's 30. They've got Costa Kufus, who's 29. And they have Iman Shumpert, who I don't even know what the deal is with Iman Shumpert. He's, he's still young. I mean, he's still only 28 years old, but after missing most of last season, I don't think he's part of the long-term plan at all in Sacramento. I don't think he's part 
part of the short-term plan. So I expect this to be, uh, and it sort of, you know, you'll get to see a lot of Willie Cauley-Stein, who's who's going into a contract here. You'll get to see a lot of the the two young bigs and Bagley, and of course, Harry Giles, which everyone in Sacramento is really excited about. But I think he played well enough in Summer League to sort of start stoking some of the flames. We've seen him starting to get projected as a possible breakout candidate or a possible, you know, sneaky, uh, under the radar rookie of the year candidate. Um, and, and then you've got a, a pretty solid young backcourt of guys who can do a lot of things and Fox and Bogdanovich and Heald. Um, you know, Frank Mason's going to be hiding there, but Yogi Ferrell's still a young guy who can actually give you something, can push the tempo. Um, I think they're really going to try to push the, the speed this year and really try to get up and down the court. And I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of room for veterans at all. I, I don't know if those guys are going to sit out most of the year or they're going to sit out part of the year, but I don't expect to see much of those guys. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, maybe we could see a little bit of Shumpert playing the three against teams that you know don't have the absolute biggest threes in the world just because he does provide some defense when healthy. And I know mm-hmm. he was cleared uh, late last month, finally, for five-on-five five play. I mean, he's really struggled with knee and, and lower body injuries. But yeah, I mean, that, I think that's going to be an interesting tension here as well with, with Dave Yeager. Uh, you know, is he, he obviously has a relationship with Zach Randolph. Uh, Shumpert, you know, we'll see where he is at. Uh, Kufos, you know, I, I don't know if he's effective enough really uh, to get playing time. He seems like he might be a buyout candidate after opting into that uh, about eight million bucks this year. But I, do you think there's going to be some tension between Jaeger trying to win playing vets? I mean, there certainly have a lot of guys here who are part of the future, but you can still make the argument that he would think that some of the vets give him a better chance to win at least early in the season. Yeah, you know, last year what he used, um, like Kufus, I think is a guy who can help teams. I think he can help a lot of teams. He's a, a really, really solid defensive veteran big you know he's he's a third big for sure uh but he's also a guy who started uh all 82 games for a 59 win uh 59 or 57 win uh Denver Denver Nuggets team a few years back he's and he's also like a consummate professional he understands what he got into here when he opted into his eight point I think it's eight point seven million dollar contract um but the thing that I I would really point to is that while Zach Randolph was slow and really did kind of muddy the waters for Sacramento last year he was a security blanket, not just for Dave Yeager, but for the young guys as well. When you needed a basket, you could just deal it down low and Zach Randolph, you know, 60, 70% of the time would be able to get you a basket when you needed it. And young teams... Wait, hold on. 60 or 70% of the time? Come on. That, that... <laughs> no, no. Down low. Down low. No. Oh, I, you're saying, like... Yeah. No, I'm not saying... No. Zebo shot all kinds of ridiculous shots all over the court last year. He shot a bunch of threes. But in a, in a game where you start getting to a point where you know a team has gone on an 8-0 run and you haven't scored for two or three minutes you can drop Zebo in the block and say don't go anywhere we're gonna feed you and go get us a basket and stop the run and I, I think that that's it's a skill that that of course Zach Randolph has but it's a veteran move is to go in the post and sort of break that run so that that eight point run or six point run doesn't lead to a 12 or a 14 or a 20 point run and the game's over and so I think taking that away is going to be interesting somebody on the Sacramento Kings roster is going to have to step up and be the man that can that can stop and really calm the offense when things are going sideways and so while I I don't love all of the crazy shots that Zebo took throughout the year when he thought he was a primary scoring option which he was uh I think when you really break it down just that security blanket that he provided the young players was a good thing and I I don't think you're going to see that this year but 
You know, they're going to have to figure out how to score in the final four minutes of a game without featuring a guy who who's done it for 17 seasons. They're going to have to figure that out. And is that Buddy Heald? Is it Bogdanovich? Is it De'Aaron Fox? Uh, you know, does Bagley step up quickly? Uh, does Willie Cauley-Stein continue to sort of progress as an offensive weapon as well? I, I just don't know who that guy is because we don't, when you look at the roster, you don't have a guy who averaged more than, uh, you know, outside of Zebo. you're looking at like almost 13 points a game for Buddy Hield, and that's about it. Yeah, supporting what you're saying, Zach Randolph, uh, per cleaning the glass, was 97th percentile in terms of uh, fewest percentage of assisted buckets uh, uh, among bigs. So for only 48% of his buckets were assisted. So he really, uh, that is a good point that he is the only guy on this team is like, all right, we got to go score one-on-one here. Uh, you know, his efficiency there was debatable, uh, although I did shoot it better than expected from the perimeter last year, despite some of the interesting shots shot selection that you noted uh but yeah, I mean, it, they don't really have so. I mean, maybe Fox can be that guy, at least, you know, out of pick and roll. Uh, be interesting to see, you know, if he can beat switches late in games because a lot of teams are going to that uh, at this point. Uh, this is a good time to bring in a, a stat that Liam does. We're uh, trying to find uh, he's going to have a stat for all these teams. So here was his stat. The Kings, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. If you are, uh, I, I wasn't. The Kings had the lowest free throw rate of any team in NBA history last year on offense yeah they don't get to the line <laughs> and that, that's it that's a huge issue uh, it is a huge issue and it's something that I pointed out many times it actually got to a point early in the season where Dave Yeager told his club you I will not allow you to shoot floaters if you shoot floaters you're coming out of the game and he was tired of his team going into the lane and going up soft and the fact that you know there were there were nights where the Kings shot uh like zero zero free throw attempts in the second half uh, and you're just sitting back going how is this even possible first of all it makes the game go really fast which isn't easy when you're when you're writing it because uh, there are no breaks um, but they don't have players who attack the rim Buddy Heald is probably going to be their best scorer this year uh, he doesn't like contact at all uh, De'Aaron Fox is a guy who started to show that he could get to the line um, but he of course is going to have to see his every every stat that he has is going to have to take a major jump in year two but outside of that I mean you got some really really thin bigs and Willie Cauley-Stein who started to get to the line a little bit late in the season uh but you know a guy like Marvin Bagley you look at his college numbers he doesn't even get to the line that much Harry Giles while he plays like a uh, like a man on fire again he doesn't get to the line so they're, they're gonna have to figure that out that's why you know I I would advocate for for getting a guy who just attacks to play that small forward position even if he's not highly skilled or a great shooter a guy who attacks and gets to the line it does help your game and i i don't know what were they down around 16 free throw attempts per game by the end of the season it was brutal brutal to watch yeah the actual free throw rate there for them as a team was i'm a little rusty looking stuff up here on my uh basketball reference let me find it uh yeah 0.143 so uh that's basically getting to the line seven times for every hundred field goal attempts i mean if you're viewing each time you're getting to the line as uh two free throws and that is real real uh ugly stuff and yeah maybe fox can improve that if they get in transition you tend to get fouled more in transition to going going to the rim uh, another reason i mean you mentioned the floaters 
And I think a weakness for this team too is they're always playing with two traditional bigs. I mean, we almost never saw, I mean, not only did they not have anyone with the size to play the three, but then they didn't have a stretch four option, even as a traditional stretch four or a guy uh, who is playing at the four. Vince, there's the one game you mentioned against the Warriors that they won in Oracle when admittedly Kevin Durant and Steph Curry didn't play. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they spread the floor at the end of the game with Willie Cauley-Stein at center. They had Vince Carter at the four and they actually had Cauley-Stein coming down the lane crushing dunks because they actually had the spacing and so you mentioned the floaters well a lot of times the reason you're going to take floaters is because this floor is in space you can't get all the way to the rim and get a quality shot you just got to fly into guys and especially young players don't necessarily have that craft finishing around them so some of it i think is avoiding contact but some of it is just you know there isn't enough space to get all the way there no i fully agree and it's something that i know talking to the coaching staff they knew coming into the season like if in today's nba if you don't have a stretch four, it completely limits everything you can do on the offensive end. It really does. It, it, it totally eliminates the, the ability to do the pick and roll with Willie Cauley-Stein and have the lob, uh, which Cauley-Stein's incredible in the air. He really is like, a, I mean, he averaged, I think as a high school uh, senior, I think he posted like 1,300 yards receiving. He was a superstar receiver, uh, just a huge, huge target. But he knows how to go up and get a ball and, and put it in. And yeah. 134 dunks last year for Kali Stein. Yeah, but the problem that they have is that it was really compressed. So the fact that uh, Vince Carter was their best option as a stretch four tells you everything you need to know about last year's roster. I think that's why Bielitsa is such a, a positive addition. But I also think Bagley can shoot from the outside a little bit. Um, I think Harry Giles can shoot from the outside a little bit. They've been stretching Kali Stein out to shoot from the outside a little bit. So I think their bigs are more versatile uh, this year. That's what we're going to see even Scalabissier is the guy who can step out and really shoot it uh he just really struggles to defend stretch fours and it doesn't help when you go into practice every day and there's not a stretch four to work against you know there's not someone to try to you know sort of hone your craft off the court defending as a stretch four because the Kings just didn't have one at all in the roster so I think that's an interesting point yeah so I I think that they've they've kind of found themselves in a position where I you know there really is a glut of players at that that power forward and center position but you can pretty clearly see who's going to play and who's not early in the season I think the two you know Harry and Marv which I call the the wet bandits or the sticky bandits depending on because Harry and Marv are the two villains from uh from Home Alone um it's also (laughs) yeah yeah. oh yeah I'm sure I'm sure a a reference that they will appreciate being uh, you know that 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 came out what like probably seven or eight years before Before they were born born. oh yeah but they everyone's seen it they know you know so we were uh, we were able to bring it up to them and they have a good laugh with it. So, you know, when they're hitting jumpers in practice, I call them the wet bandits. When they're when they're playing defense or grabbing rebounds, I call them the sticky bandits. So I think that they're going to play a lot of time together. I think they're going to play a lot of time in general. Uh, but I think Willie Cauley-Stein has earned a, uh, the starting job at the power at the center position. Um, and I think he adds some real versatility with the other two. And, and then I think Bielitsa is going to play. And so after that, I don't know what that means means for Costa or for Zebo or for Scal Libisier. And I like Deontay, uh, Deontay Davis, I don't think will be with the team. Um, the Kings would like to get down to 14 roster spots. So they have some roster flexibility throughout the season. And I just don't see him as, as a 
a long-term fit or a short-term fit. I'm actually surprised he's still on the roster, but he also, you know, is $1.5 million contract. Uh, that's the exact dollar amount the Kings got as far as cash in that deal as well. Yeah. So I, I don't expect him to be on the roster. So I, I do think that there is like the core four of guys that are going to play substantial minutes. And then maybe Scal picks up some scrub minutes uh, unless he can work his way into the rotation through uh, through training camp. Ben McElroy, bet, uh glad to be back in town. Um, I, he shouldn't be because I don't think he'll be in Sacramento much more than five minutes. Uh, I, I think the the plan with Macklemore is pretty clear. Um, I think he again is a buyout candidate. Uh, it's possible that they keep him in, to go into training camp, but I'll point this out too: when they they traded Garrett Temple an expiring contract at eight million dollars, uh, they took back two expiring contracts which were seven million dollars, but they also took back two contracts that sort of breaks up the money that Garrett Temple yeah. was making, and so. It really does give them a $1.5 million trade piece, a $5 million trade piece. Uh, they've got an $11 million trade piece in Chumper. They've got an $8.7 million trade piece in Costa. Uh, so so if they do end up going and using some of this $11 million cap space, they have the ability to be very versatile as sort of the deals that they can put together where they weren't before. You know, if, again, if you take Temple and you throw them in the mix as opposed to a 1.5 and a $5 million cap space dollar figure, uh, you are sort of limited in the way that you can construct deals. So I, I just think they they added some versatility with that move to their their salary cap and their ability to to move and and shake on on the trade market. Yeah, to me the trade market. This is something that we talked about a little bit before free agency started. But you know they had these guys. Kufos I think falls into that category. Even Scal is, is if he's not playing is still I think has some intrigue. I mean I'd like to find the team that could just try him out as a, a small ball center. You know he really has played very little center in his time in, in Sacramento and he's not yep. going to based uh, on what the roster looks like I mean he certainly has some concerns there as, as being you know a little soft not that great of a defensive rebounder uh you know but uh with Scal and even Shumper you know can play a little bit as well so I, I think with those guys the construction of a trade that they I would be looking at now you mentioned that they have this 60 million in cap space next summer and perhaps they're really focused on that but to me the logical trade is especially with them not having the first rounder is let's take back you know one of these you know sour 16s as i call some of those really bad contracts that were signed in 2016 you know take money that goes into next year they've got expiring contracts uh, of guys who can at least help a team to some degree Mm -hmm. and uh you know hopefully pick up a first round pick in that endeavor uh do you think they're open to that or is it going to be hey we got to leave all this 60 million open because we got to get much better uh next summer i think it would have to be the right combination so like if I'm looking around the the Kings while Ryan Anderson is a good guy and he's from Sacramento the Kings aren't absorbing 20 something million dollars of Ryan Anderson next offseason especially when the Houston Rockets have no young player to offer up in a trade and no like real draft pick to offer up in a trade right yeah I mean that's you assume that pick is going to be you know number 28 to 30 every year yeah so it's just not a good deal and I I don't even think a lot of the teams around the league that are in bad cap space situations they don't have any assets to send back to Sacramento. So if I'm the Kings and I'm and I'm out shopping, you know, on the market and I'm looking at a team, say like Washington, and you know, they're up against well, they're considerably over the luxury tax. Uh, they do have a first round pick. They also have a couple of young players that the Kings might like, a guy like Kelly Oubre. Uh, you know, would I take back Ian Mianmi's contract for next year if the deal was right? I, I think so. Uh, especially that still puts them at $45 million in cap space. 
place so they could still can you know conceivably uh make a, a run at a big name player next offseason as well but the deal has to be right and and i just don't know that the kings have the ability to go out and shop the deal the right way uh maybe they do maybe they've they've got it all figured out and they've mapped out like four or five players on the open market but what they're not going to do is they're not going to go you know deal with the miami heat and their ridiculously horrible contracts that they've got stacked up that they're trying to pawn on people um unless the player they're getting back or the pick they're getting back is just so stellar that they can't you know not do a deal like that and and i don't think anyone's coming knocking right now but again they're the only team with real cap space uh they also have you know what is it 45 million 50 million in expiring contracts they can really really be uh a linchpin in the way that this whole entire trade season works out and everything else because they could be that third team that jumps in and that's why again they're going to get down closer to the 14-man roster as opposed to a 15-man roster that means they'll use their their two-way contracts a little bit more but also i think what it does is it gives them that flexibility where again last year they had to buy out yorgos Papianos, whether they wanted to or not but they had to buy him out as part of the deal that sent george hill out the door um and and so you want to have a little bit more flexibility in your roster so uh, another thing i want to talk about here is just who's going to start for this team you know i I think you've alluded to it some i mean fox is going to be the starting one i assume right i mean no question about that uh at the two is there going to be a competition between bogdanovich and heel do you think bogdanovich has that kind of locked up well i i think it really does depend on what the kings decide to do with that position i mean again adding yogi ferrell gave them depth in the backcourt that might allow them to start buddy healed at the two and move bogdanovich to the three as a starter Mm. and do more of a three guard set uh bogdanovich is listed as six six he's probably more like six five but he's really a long arm six five he didn't have a lot of issues uh dealing with you know i mean of course the taller small forwards he he struggled with um but but i mean mean, he he might be their best defensive option at the three unless uh, yeah unless you're counting Shumpert, uh which you probably shouldn't so yeah i I would i think he is probably their best defensive option at this point i think the one thing i'll point out this is kind of an interesting segue to this but um justin jackson you talked about his summer league numbers and how he actually looked pretty good i actually took the opposite approach like i was happy for him that he was able to score and able to get his offense going um but it didn't come with anything else there were no assists there were no steals there were no rebounds at all defensively he was okay and all it showed me that is if you give justin jackson a primary scoring role he can score and you know i think a lot of nba players even the guys that aren't considered great scorers they were considered a great scorer at some point in their career it was some point in their high school or or college career if you gave them you know 14 touches a game to to shoot i think that they're going to be able to score uh i just don't see how that works for the sacramento kings justin jackson i I don't think he can be efficient yeah i mean and speaking of free throw rate i mean he was probably he and buddy healed both had uh eight percent free throw rates last year you know so you mentioned like the, the floater issues uh you know, those two guys certainly were uh the the biggest offenders in that regard yeah yeah but i think what i, I guess to round this out uh justin jackson what he did show is if you give him that opportunity just to score to come in off the bench and just try to fill it up i think he probably can actually be an efficient and effective scorer uh which might allow you to to take buddy healed and put him in the starting lineup so maybe he can fill some of the role that buddy healed had last year as their primary score off the bench and so that 
that might be the way that he can help this team. And he can play the two or the three. Um, I, I don't believe he can play the four at all, but I think if you, you're using him the right way, he might be able to add something to the team and stay in the rotation where if he's your starting level, if he's your starting three, I just don't think he's an NBA level starting three at this point. And I think he's going to really struggle, you know, not just against taller players, but against stronger players. And he's just not, to me, he's not strong enough to hold his ground full time at that small forward position right now. I will talk a lot more about what to expect from the Kings right after this. So since you are listening to this podcast, you're probably all about learning. And Masterclass is a great way to learn, whether it's Steph Curry's Masterclass, a once in a lifetime opportunity to learn from one of the greatest shooters in NBA history, or over 35 other masters, including Gordon Ramsay, Malcolm Gladwell, Ron Howard, Bob Woodward on investigative journalism. That one is particularly of interest to me. Masterclass offers online classes taught by the best in the world. For Steph's class, in over four hours of movie quality video lessons, he will teach you perfect shooting mechanics, footwork, and scoring techniques. I really enjoy, too, the guy that he brings in to show the wrong technique. That poor guy <laughs> just does this uh, hilarious, exaggerated wrong technique. But it's good for you because you'll then not do that. He's got a bunch of drills that will make you a better ball handler as well. That's a, a big part of becoming a better shooter is being a great ball handler so you know exactly where the ball is when you get into your shot you can analyze nba game footage to improve your basketball iq with steph's help they're always adding new classes as well across a wide range of fields music cooking writing film many more whether you're pursuing your passion developing your career you'll find a master class for you for a limited time dunked on listeners get a free seven day trial at masterclass.com slash cap space once again masterclass.com slash cap space is that url masterclass.com slash cap space let me know if that slash cap space url that you came from us so you think uh coley uh, stein then is the inside track uh, to start still uh, at center i think so um I, I think if you really look at the sort of you either harry giles or marvin bagley in my opinion are going to start uh at uh, and i believe they'll start at the four now it's possible that both of them start and you bring willie Cauley stein off the bench i haven't completely crossed that off the list of things that could happen but i i think the kings are going to get destroyed early in the season if you do that now they might get destroyed either way but i don't think you're going to help anyone's confidence if you're running two young guys out there the biggest issue with marvin bagley is that he's not a great defender uh and he might not even yeah. be. A, what'd you, an okay what'd you think of his, what'd you think of his defense uh, in summer league? I thought he was much better than advertised. I thought he was more. I thought was, so too. He was aggressive. Uh, I thought that he was able, everyone talks about his pogo stick jump, you know, how he can get off the floor like three or four times while someone else is getting off the floor once and trying to reload. Uh, I saw that on the defensive end as well. I think he's a, a really, really good rebounder. Uh, and I also think that he can block shots that way as well. He He's using the springs in his legs to keep coming back at somebody even if he makes a mistake he can make up a little bit for it so I was okay with what I saw uh, from him as a defender I know when the Kings brought him in and they interviewed him in the pre-draft process Dave Yeager sat down and watched film with him uh, specifically film of him making mistakes on the defensive end and they wanted to understand if he understood what was going wrong and if they gave him pointers on how to fix what was going wrong if he could understand what was you know how to fix it and then 
go out on the court and show them that he understood. And he sort of, he, he was able to do all of that. And so that's one of the reasons why the Kings didn't worry about the whole defensive issue with him. So the reason, the long way to get around this, will Willie Cauley-Stein start at the at the five? I think Willie Cauley-Stein is still a guy who, who has, uh, he's not a great defender at the NBA level. He's not nearly as good a defender as what everyone thought he would be coming out of college, but he can still switch on a lot of different players. He's getting better as a defensive player. He's getting much stronger. We've seen him add plenty of weight as he's developed and going into his fourth season. So I want to see somebody alongside Marvin Bagley that can that can play defense. Now, that player might be Harry Giles because at 6'10", 250, um, he's got incredible lateral quickness. He's got huge hands. He, he barks the whole time. He's very, uh, he plays with like an intensity and a force uh, that I that I love watching. Uh, we've heard him compared a little bit to Draymond Green as far as the way that he he uh, I don't know the again the intensity that he plays with on the defensive end. Now I think he's going to get in foul trouble early in his career because that doesn't always work um, full time at the NBA level, especially young players going to get drawn into a bunch of stuff uh, when he goes up against savvy veteran players. But I, I kind of think Willie Cauley Stein will start at the the five um, because he knows all the plays, he knows what's happening, he knows what to call out. Uh, and then one of those two is going to, you know, steal that power forward position. And then you're going to have to see how they play off each other. I think in a perfect world, I think Harry Giles would start alongside uh, Willie Cauley Stein and I, Costa Kufis would come off the bench and sort of be that defensive anchor to work with Marvin Bagley and to show him the ropes and to have his back. I just don't think Costa is going to play that much. And so um, I think it's possible that Harry Giles is maybe a better fit with Bielitsa because of his defensive acumen and uh, he can cover for, for him and Willie will cover for Bagley. So I, I think it's sort of a, a complex situation there, but um, I think being the second overall pick is going to play into some of, uh, some of that decision on who starts. Um, oh, oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah, yeah that's, uh, th- that would be a surprise. I guess with, with Giles, uh, too, I mean, it's easy to forget now because he looks healthy, but, you know, he missed an entire season. So him starting and playing, you know, it, it might be easier to bring him off the bench and just manage his workload early on to see whether he can make it through 82 games uh, or not. I, I don't quite see it as much with Giles. I mean, we talked about him uh, on our pod in the summer league mm-hmm. uh i think that he's a you know more of an average nba athlete to me than like an unbelievable one and and his length is solid but not you know again he's not one of these seven five wingspan kind of guys so I, I didn't see it and the quickness i thought was okay it, not amazing i was very impressed with his jump shot actually that was probably the thing that i i thought he had made the most progress on so we'll see it, how he looks i mean he, he's also still trying to feel his way back but i always thought even at the high school level his athletic was a little overrated um so so we'll see i mean i think you know you, what you said about his intelligence level is encouraging um and his communication but i'm not sure he's ready yet it, or, or if he'll ever get there to be you know really an elite defensive big man but you know if that's uh, obviously you're hearing that internally and, and they think that they see him every day so maybe uh, i'll end up being wrong on that well a couple of things first of all i think what we saw in summer league which surprised me both in sacramento and in vegas is that the kings let him go out there and play on on uh, the second night of a back-to-back. I didn't think they would do that because, you know, again, he played 300 minutes at Duke, but outside of that, he hasn't played at all in three years. So I think he's still trying to get his quickness. He's still trying to get sort of his athleticism back fully. Um, I think he's been working hard and he's got most of that back. But once you start playing basketball every day, how does your body respond? And 
I don't think his body responded really well to the mini camp and then a bunch of back to backs in both Sacramento and uh, in Las Vegas. So I think uh, he'll figure that out a little bit between now and October uh, when the season starts. But the other thing I'll point out is that the Kings Summer League team was really bad. Uh, I I think they came into the Summer League thinking, um, you know, that Fox was going to play a little bit. uh, And, you know, as far as in Sacramento, and then he got he got dinged up in that first game and he didn't play again. He looked good, though, in that first game. I will say that. Oh, no, he did. He looked really good. But my point is that I think with Harry Giles, the one thing you didn't get to see is his passing, uh, his ability to space the floor and really be a facilitator. And that's because the Kings really didn't have a very good squad around him. I'm intrigued to see what he does when the players around him are better. Uh, Of course, he's going to have to figure out the athleticism piece to this. Um, But like when he tested at P3 in January, he tested with lateral quickness of an elite small forward. And those are encouraging things. They also said that his explosion and all these things were back to where they were when he was a a younger high school player. Um, So I don't think we saw him fully comfortable and fully ready uh, to play on a consistent basis, you know, this summer Uh, when you're just throwing him out there and you're saying, you know, just go be active, really, you know, go show us your motor. We're not going to run a bunch of plays for you. Uh, We're not going to run a bunch of plays off of you. uh, And because we don't really have the players to run plays off of you, but just go out there and show us what you can do. And I thought overall, he was pretty impressive for what he was supposed to do and what it looked like he, you know, where they wanted him. His rebounding numbers weren't great. Uh, You know, his passing numbers weren't great. But I think those are all things that would help if he had better players surrounding him. How about at the backup one? It seems like based on just the the tone, what you're saying about the summer league, the fact that they brought in Yogi Ferrell, that uh, Frank Mason, despite being someone that people were high on last year uh, in his backup point guard role, it seems like he's kind of... uh, fallen out of favor a little bit and that Yogi is going to be the the main backup point guard. Yeah, I think Mason was really coming on strong early in the season and then he hit the rookie wall and then he got injured. And then once he got yeah. injured, that it was it was a foot injury, right? Yeah, he he tore some uh some stuff in the back of his heel. Um he had some little micro tears. So uh, what happened though, if you really look at his numbers leading up to that, he had really started to fade, which is sort of customary, you know, you get 45 50 games into a season and you start to fade a little bit as a rookie. You're not used to the grind. Um, Then when he went down, I thought the injury took longer than they thought to recover. And then once he did come back, I just didn't really see, he didn't have his legs back under him. We fast forward to summer league and he really looked like the same player he did in the stretch right before he got injured. Uh, He really forced a lot of things. He gets to the basket, but he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't have an out already scheduled. Uh, He gets blocked a lot. Uh, I would like to see him watch a lot of footage of Isaiah Thomas, the way that Isaiah Thomas is able to clear space as he goes to the hole. Um, Because again, they both have a similar body style. I think Frank Mason's actually stronger than Isaiah. And I just think that he could learn something there. Um, But again, I'm going to get back to this point that I just brought up. First of all, he led summer league in assists at eight per game. And and so he did do his job, which was to come in and run the team. Their offense was god awful. Uh, He wasn't surrounded by great players and he was still able to get eight assists. But you know as well as I do that it's a much different thing. You're running down the lane when Willie Cauley-Stein is is right over to the right-hand side of you and ready to catch a lob than when uh, Winyan Gabriel is, is right alongside you or or Austin or, you know, name that big that the Kings brought with them to 
Farmer League. And so I think he's, as of right now, Yogi Ferrell is probably the backup point guard, and then Frank Mason's going to have to fight his way in. I'll also say this, Yogi Ferrell really likes to run, and the Kings want to push their tempo big time this season. And I think when you have a guy like De'Aaron Fox who can really just hit the gas and run, you want to come off the bench with another guy who can continue that to keep push, push, push. And so I do believe that that's a good thing uh, that Yogi Ferrell can bring to this team. He can also have some scoring punch um, and he can play, you know, he can play a one, two. He's a little bit of a combo guard, although he's only, you know, six foot tall. So I think as of right now, uh, Frank Mason is going to have to fight for minutes and Yogi Ferrell's got the job, but I, I think that can change, you know, at any time. The Kings signed Ferrell to a $3 million deal with a non-guaranteed second year. Uh, you know, if there's one thing that the Kings have done well, uh, you can ding them for a lot of things because they've done a lot of things very, very poorly over the last five or six seasons, but they've really managed their cap well. Uh, and, yeah. you know, even Bielitsa is a guy that, you know, he's he's on the books next year, but he has a small buyout for the, the third year of his contract. Um, and they've, they've managed their contracts well, and they're in a position this next summer to strike. Farrell is one of those guys that if you can't find anything better, if you don't project anything better, he's only a $3 million pickup for next season as well. Yeah, uh, no, that's a value deal for sure. Yeah, and if Mason steps up and he's ready to take over the reins, he's even on a better budget deal and you, you slide him back into the, the rotation. I think we're just going to have to see him, Frank. He needs he needs to be aggressive. He needs to come out and shoot and he needs to push the tempo and he needs to figure out his outs when he's going to the basket. What do you see as this team's uh, big strengths this season? I think speed and athleticism. I think that they, uh, you can knock a lot of things uh, that they that they don't have. But I think if you look at their, their three main bigs that we talked about, those guys can really get out and run. Uh, I think Marvin Bagley is going to be a guy who, I mean, what we saw at the college level from him as far as his ability to finish on the break above the rim uh, in transition it's just next level stuff and you pair him with a guy like De'Aaron Fox who can really get out and run uh, I, I think that that's great I think they've got pretty good shooting all the way around they were a very very good three-point shooting team last year I think they're second or third in the league in three-point percentage by the end of the season they didn't shoot enough yeah. threes uh, yeah they, they yeah didn't you shoot know yeah threes. it was really interesting because they shot a great percentage you know and George Hill I thought was a big part of that too you know who was only there two-thirds of the season but they actually I think were second to last in terms of three-point temporary but I think that was mm-hmm. more about just not have I mean the guys who did shoot threes on the team are good shooters healed Bogdanovich uh you know hopefully Fox I mean I don't know if he's gonna be a good three-point shooter but he, he at least was aggressive taking him in that one summer league game but yeah again I think it was the lack of a stretch option at the four that really kind of held that three-point attempt rate down mm-hmm. yeah and you know what I've watched Fox a ton in both uh in shoot around and in in practice uh and of course games he is such a better shooter off the catch and and shoot than he is off the dribble and it's to me i've watched enough of him um he does have it he has a tendency to to lift his head up and pick up the rim way late when he's on the dribble and it's something Mm. that that's probably limiting his ability to hit uh you know even his his mid-range jumper isn't bad but you know the three point off the dribble um you know the accuracy has to be that much more the longer the further away you are it's got to be more accurate uh and so i think you know if you can get bogdanovich with the ball in his hands a lot if you can get him playing with a guy like yogi ferrell guys that can create for him uh and then having passing bigs which the kings haven't really had but you know zebo's not a, a great passing big but if you can have a guy like harry giles start hitting guys in wide open looks uh on the perimeter then maybe you can start to see that three-point percentage come up 
Uh, again, I think Zebo, for all of what he did last year for the team as far as scoring and stuff, uh, I don't think he's a guy who who you can, you know, that fits at all with what they're doing going forward. But he's also not a guy who made a lot of people around him better. He just, he was a guy who came in and hit big shots for them, but he didn't make guys around them bigger, better. And I think they have some young guys who actually can do that, uh, specifically Giles. I think Giles, yeah. the, what I hear out of practice is he's such a next level passer that he's the best passer yeah. on the team is what I've heard multiple wow. times. I'm looking forward to seeing that if, if that's true. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, yeah, that, that would be my, like the three, they need to get more three point shots up, but I think having Bielitsa will help that. I, I think Buddy Heald is a guy, I mean, what's he shot? He's got the second most three point makes uh, in the first two years of his career behind Damian Lillard, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he's a guy that, you know, you can probably ask him to shoot three more three point attempts per game in the right situation, especially as if your offense is predicated on speed and on quickness and on finding open guys and, you know, sort of the, the pound it down low, kick it back out and find guys to, to knock down open shots. So I, I think there's potential there for them to really be a really good three-point shooting team. So strengths, again, speed, quickness, youth, uh, and the ability to shoot the three. I think they're going to be pretty bad defensively uh, <laughs> because the three guys that they added this year um, are not good defenders as far as Farrell and uh, Bielitsa and, and Marvin Bagley. Uh, but you never know. I mean, you get one guy who acts as a defensive catalyst, uh, who's aggressive and covers up for other guys. Uh, maybe they feed off of that. Maybe Harry Giles is a guy that can really help, you know, the whole package improve. Um, but that's yet to be seen. Yeah. Interestingly, I mean, and you mentioned because, you know, with Sebo playing, he's not really a transition player. Only 22nd. And George Hill is not a transition point guard no. either. So, you know, I, I think later in the year, they were better at this. But overall for last season, only 22nd in the NBA in terms of transition frequency um but yeah i think that's something that can be a strength um you know the weaknesses i mean i, I think we've hit a, a on most of those uh any anything else that you think of as like a key question for how these guys are, are gonna look this season yeah i think the biggest thing for me is who steps up who becomes what they might be and i think that that's that's what's going to be the biggest thing hanging over this team all year long uh it, you know they're not going to win a lot of games i don't think i think you know it's possible that they that they win 22 games they win 23 games it's also possible that they catch lightning in a bottle and they win 33 35 you know games i don't really see that um but i think what we we have to see is an outline of what this team could look like if you can actually add a major piece with all your cap space next year and maybe that's that's crazy because maybe there's not a free agent in the world that wants to come to sacramento uh but you never know if you can prove that you've got a starting level point guard that can really fly up and down the court that Bagley is, you know, maybe a 20 and 10 guy uh, that, you know, Willie Colley Stein can take the next step, you know, to be a consistent, not just, you know, I, he averaged almost 13 and seven last year. If he can take a step up and, and start being a guy that you can count on for more like, you know, 13 and eight or 14 and eight, uh, maybe you got something there. Uh, and, and then if Bogdanovich and Heald really take that next step where they're guys who can average 15 to 18 points a game as primary options and you know I don't think that there's going to be one guy that steps out and, and all of a sudden he's posting 23 points a game they they just don't have that scoring level player right now uh, yeah. but this year is going to be about development and being able to see this team through the right lens going forward and and sort of the the building blocks that you have in place are they something you can build something great on or are they built on sand and you're going to have to start over in two years I think that's what this year is about 
Yeah, and I think really so much of this season is, you know, what is De'Aaron Fox going to look like? Is he, are we going to find out that he is someone who has the potential to be the next great point guard star or, you know, someone who can be a top 10 player at his position? Because, I mean, if you go through it right now, you know, the, the Kings don't have a single player right now who projects to be in the top 15 at their position in the NBA. And, you know, it's, it's really difficult to win that way. Um, and, and I think, you know, what you said about just – having a score or a go-to guy especially if randolph isn't playing and he was uh if you wanted to rank the go-to scores in the nba he was probably at the bottom uh, towards the bottom of that list uh, last year anyway yeah. uh so yeah i mean uh, that's gonna be a a concern but let's uh let's do some predictions here now uh we uh what is your predicted record for the 2018-19 sacramento kings you know, last season I predicted 27 wins, which was exactly what they won. I thought that this offseason with the right moves, they could get up to potentially 36, 37 wins. I do not think that they made the moves that would cause that kind of increase uh, in win totals because they don't have any, they don't have any of the, uh, those guys who are on their second contract in the NBA that really make a yeah. lot of sense for this team that are going to play a lot this season. Um, so not having sort of the, middle class of your roster they don't have that uh so i think that they're i would be surprised if they hit 27 wins again and i know some fans are going to be really not happy about that prediction um but i would say 25 to 26 wins would be my guess today i also think there's a lot of time between now and even when they open up training camp in late september for them to adjust this roster and maybe get a couple of guys like what i'm talking about the you know even a guy like who's still a free agent out there, Rodney Hood, uh, would he make sense on this team? Could he fill in and be a a stopgap at the small forward position? Uh, You know, a team like Cleveland is is up against the luxury tax. And if the Kings have enough cap space, even if they clear out a couple of these guys, uh, they could bring a guy like that in and just give them another shooter, another scorer. And I think that might be enough to alleviate some of the stress off the young players from panic mode uh, and push this team up, you know, into the 30s. Um, But, you know, this will be my ninth season covering the team and the best season nate is 59 losses that's my best season of covering king's basketball which means my best season is 33 wins um and i don't see the kings uh, for, 49 49 losses 49 my bad my yeah, bad yeah. 49 losses yeah my, so it's i don't still see, uh it's, it's still, still brutal yeah. yeah yeah 49 losses so i don't see them being uh a team that can really do the 33 win plateau uh maybe i'm wrong um but i think it's going to be a tough season just because that's safety net is gone and Dave Yeager said it many times the training wheels are coming off we're going to let these young guys make or break themselves right here uh and we're going to give them a shot and I think this team will look very different at the start of the season than it does at the end of the season because we're going to see massive growth from some players and some players who just show that they're not rotational NBA players which I I think that there's a couple on this roster that aren't um but I I think this is sort of it's just going to be an interesting season of growth and and trial and error and maybe Maybe Zebo makes some appearances and helps his team, but it's a good chance he doesn't play hardly at all. Uh, and you know, there's a good chance he's a buyout candidate at some point, or he's a, uh, a an expiring contract that teams will uh, use during the during the end uh, the February trade deadline stuff. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting but not super high win total season for the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. So what was your uh, your official prediction again? I'm going to say 26. I think Vegas has it at 25. I think. 
I I might take the over, um, but it's possible that this thing falls completely apart and this team wins twenty something games. Yeah, they're at least they don't have their draft pick. So, uh, but also, you know, despite having their draft pick last year, they actually were uh, much luckier than it, their point differential would have indicated. So, I mean, if you're thinking of them at a twenty two win baseline, I mean, so much of it to me just depends on Fox. And then you know, if Bagley is going to pay play a ton, I mean, it's just it's very very difficult i mean because when he's in there he's going to shoot the ball a- yep. and if he's not going to be you know that's what his role is going to be if he's not going to be efficient he wasn't able to be efficient in summer league he's very predictable very left-handed at this point in time you know so last year uh they were i think in the bottom three in both offense and defense it's i mean maybe they could get a little better defensively uh but you know I, I, it's hard for me to see this team being outside of the bottom five in both offense and defense this year so I, i'm trying to decide between 23 and 24 wins i think i will ultimately go with 24 <laughs> 24, <laughs> 24 and, wins just at, out of respect for the fact that they won't be tanking uh, at the end but i mean you know this is a team that could win even fewer than 20 games in a worst case scenario um but before that let, let's talk about what do you think is the best case scenario for these guys and and how does it happen? I think best case scenario, 35, 36 wins. Uh, and I think the the reason why I think there's, there's a possibility of that is because we've seen teams sort of just use speed and quickness and get up and down the court and mask some of the issues. I, I think we saw it with the Lakers last year where the Lakers went on some runs. Uh, they had some guys step up uh, that became much better than you thought they would they would be. Um, but I think if, if the Kings can push the tempo, if Bagley actually comes out and, you know, and makes sense 15 games into the season where all of a sudden he is a guy that you can count on for 15 plus points per game. Um, and, and, you know, Giles is everything that people think he could be. Uh, I think you start to see this team uh, meshing and playing just at a style of play that some teams don't want to don't want to match up against. And, uh, you know, we talked about how, you know, last season the Kings kept winning down the stretch, even though at the teams were phoning it in well i think that does actually help uh they got a lot of you know training under their belt in bad situations where young guys were actually going out there and and fighting through adversity and coming away with wins even if no one wanted them to win uh they kept coming away with wins and i think the one thing about dave yeager is he wants his team to keep playing it out i'm not gonna let you quit i'm not gonna let you you know phone it in that's not how we play and i think that does actually play well into what we might see this year because it's going to be a lot of the same players going out there uh you know the guys that played without Zebo and without uh costa down the end of the stretch even you know without vince carter and i think you're going to put these guys out there and say look you did it okay last year uh some teams were phoning it in but you also got some wins against some teams that were fighting for playoff spots that looked at the sacramento kings and said how, how in the world do we just lose to that team so i think there is potential for this to be better than what people think um i i just think that that potential is very small because without that reliable help us we're we're fading and it's you know early second quarter and we're on the brink of getting blown out do we have someone that can stop that stop what's happening if someone doesn't step up and be that guy it could be a really long season for the kings yeah and you know i don't know that this team the non-tanking makes as much of a difference right if you have the, the dallas mavericks for example their tanking was huge last year right i mean they should they have guys like harrison barnes and jj barea 
and Dirk, like guys that, that are actually like good veteran players who, you know, might be a 35 win team normally, but you shut those guys down. And then, you know, you've got young guys who, who haven't done much. I mean, the Kings kind of have all of these young guys and those guys are going to play, but you know, young players generally don't win in the NBA. So the idea of, all right, well, you know, we'll shut guys down. We'll take it easy. Well, you know, number one, you don't want to do that because you want your young guys to develop. And number two, like all these guys are young. So there's not really that much of a difference there. Yeah. Um, whole roster. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I think 35 or, or 36, I, I'm not willing to go that high. I mean, although I, I should remember, you know, there's sometimes teams win uh, five more games than they're expected to. And, you know, so if I'm saying, hey, their best case scenario is 30, when I'm saying that, I'm kind of thinking like, okay, they fundamentally are a 30 win team, you know, but then maybe they win five more games just because of luck. Uh, so, you know, maybe 35 is not ridiculous. I, I was going to say like 29 or 30, but, you know, I'm thinking of it more from a standpoint of just fundamentally how good is this team and when you're talking about best case scenario you got to account for some luck uh, as well so uh, i'll say uh, and i've been guilty of not going far enough on some of these best and worst case uh, scenarios but i'm kind of thinking of it from a realistic standpoint without too much luck so i'd say probably 31 wins uh, to me and then worst case i mean i think we both we both agree probably you know you could get as low as like 20 wins if things go poorly for these guys no i think so i think you could you could see the 19 20 21 win season I, I think that's totally possible i know two years ago my prediction was 37 wins I, but i wanted a plus or minus of seven and people yeah. just looked at me that, and i said look if they can avoid the drama then i think they could win 30 I, I think they could actually push into the 40s and this is what demarcus cousins and you know rudy gay and what happened they couldn't avoid the drama they couldn't avoid the drama at all rudy gay pops his achilles uh matt barnes a scenario you know playing out uh only caspi falling into Dave Yeager's doghouse and then on top of that you trade DeMarcus Cousins and now you're looking at you know a, a team that's not good at all uh, but still I think posted what 32 wins um, so I think that again my plus or minus of seven worked in that scenario yeah. uh, because they couldn't avoid the drama but I think that that team could have been a 40 something win team if things had sort of gone the right way. Alright well thanks a ton for coming on man we uh, appreciate this and uh, looking forward to talking to you happy to return the favor uh, anytime uh, on your show and uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, up in Sacramento this year. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Nate. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.